Welcome to the D-Hood Podcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. And I'm Mike. Yes, uh, listener, second member of the Triple Crown Club, friend of the show, Mike Herman, has joined us for his third time guest hosting. Uh, really excited for this one. Mike and I have been talking about this for months. Um, it was just a matter of not to sound like the pretentious assholes that we probably are, but to slip in him in between the other guests that we had planned uh, just took until August's episode to do. Um, but that gave us a lot of time to kind of banter back and forth and and prepare. And um, one thing about Mike, if you listen to him, you would have heard this in past uh, episodes a little bit. Um, he's kind of really into cool lore and controversy specifically. And so we kind of have an episode geared all around controversies and um, maybe shit disturbing for lack of a better term amongst different media so it's going to kind of follow the, the the normal structure but all kind of have that overarching theme so welcome mike thank you very much and yeah you couldn't be more correct i love going into uh movie controversies and behind the scenes stuff that's the stuff i geek out the most about so uh yeah it's exciting to be back and to have an episode tailored towards me i'm i'm uh, i'm touched guys i appreciate it thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. well leland i i hear you prepared today which is awesome as well so i did i'm starting to prepare more and more as uh, you know the uh, the years go by as we did just have our four-year anniversary of the show yeah oh congrats wow. fellas congrats thank you Thank you. I was listening to our sixth episode, which we used to think was one of our best um, on YouTube the other day. And <laughs> I did. Used to, yeah, we used to, used to like that. Episode. Pretty cringe, entertaining, but still kind of cringe. And I know the ones before were terrible. So. <laughs> and all the ones after. <laughs> Here we are, episode six to nine, and we haven't got any better. That, that's even, I'm even more grateful that I was also featured on episode 69. You guys know me so well. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know my, my humor. I, I do. All right. Cool. <laughs> it's it's our honor to have you here. We'll just uh, we'll plow through the 69 for the next two hours here and have a great time together. <laughs> that's Yeah, I would say that's about as long as the 69 should really go for. Otherwise, you get bored. <laughs> I'm just I I I'm like trying honestly to continue the badger, but I'm I'm lost. It's too funny. You're lost. Well, and so hey, but then let's just jump into our forcibly bantered section. Mike, we are I am gonna put you on the spot here because mm -hmm. um there's a certain controversy that I don't know much about, uh Blizzard Activision controversy, and I know you kinda wanted to bring that up in the banter. Yeah, well, it just felt uh, kind of right. And to be honest, I uh, because it's a video game story, I'm not as um, familiar with it. But the, gel, uh, the general broad strokes is uh, Activision Blizzard. And let's be real, I think we've all hated back Activision Blizzard for like five years now at this point. Like the most like beloved darling of a studio that everybody just like slowly, they're just kind of slowly chipping away at at their fan base bit by bit and uh so this is just like another another one of the controversies but yeah their uh activision blizzard is being accused of having a um frat house like um atmosphere and so um i don't know just lots of examples of uh sexism sexual harassment i'm pretty sure uh someone from blizzard actually just the ceo just stepped down today there was even another kind of wild element too, where they had what was called a uh, Cosby suite, 
as in Bill Cosby. Oh no. Um, that one's pretty wild. So it was just I, I can't remember the name, but but someone high up on Activision Blizzard, like you know, just a probably I don't know, did some dicey things when it. Um, I'm sure I don't need to elaborate. We know who all uh, who Bill Cosby is, but yeah, he had his own suite at his convention, and uh, there's a big picture of all the uh, high uh, higher up developers and CEOs all posing next to this uh, picture of Bill Cosby. Something they referred to. It was basically just sort of this um, general dismissal of um, you know sexual harassment and all that kind of going around in the workplace that. You know, eventually, and you can't even say that, unfortunately, that it eventually just got out because I just watched a video the other day of someone that just went through their employee um, reviews. And it was basically like people being like, yeah, I mean, it's a good opportunity, but sexism is a bit of a problem. And it was mostly females, um, unfortunately, complaining that. And I think I, I think unfortunate, um, unfortunately for them, uh, especially, um, is it's pretty hard for females in general to make it in the tech slash gaming industry so sometimes like working at a blizzard is a great opportunity and yeah and so just unfortunate situation all around and uh but at the same time like i mean again activision blizzard sort of low-hanging fruit at this point like fuck them like are, is any love lost here probably not like but yeah it sucks to hear well i mean like that's like you say the the break in uh for for women into the industry in general is how they fucking keep getting away with that shit right mm. Uh, I think there's a bit of a soft boycott going around um, for going around on Reddit. You know, uh, I think specifically for Warzone, it might be for COD Warzone. You know, basically saying, play the game's fine, but don't fucking buy anything from these mm-hmm. from this company, right? Like, if you already have the game, then fucking enjoy it, I suppose. But like, don't give them any more money, kind of thing. Yeah, it was really that um, uh, merger with with Activision that really just seemed to like the beginning of the end, like uh, Blizzard. To me, I kind of felt like a studio like Valve, right? Just, like, who doesn't like Valve? I don't know if maybe Valve's falling out of favor. I can't keep track of this shit most of the time. But, like, for the most part, Valve, like... no, Valve doesn't do fucking anything. Well, that's maybe the problem, right? They don't do anything, so who could, uh... They don't need yeah. to. They're, they're riding high on, on Steam, and they make as much money as they could fucking ever want. Side note, <laughs> though, um, I'm a big uh, VR guy, and, uh, and I'll say Half-Life Alex is fucking tight, so... Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, most people don't own VR, and most people haven't played it, so I can't blame anyone right. for being like, that game exists. I didn't even know. But it is good. I, As far as VR game goes, it's one of the best I've played. I, I tried it at Ghost Marty's uh, last year, and other than like his wife occasionally walking in front of my <laughs> view, yeah. and like be, having this giant city-sized alien being broken up by his wife... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was an amazing experience, just, like, even picking up bottles, shaking them. There's, like, vodka bottles with, like, liquid in them and then chucking them at the walls or, like, writing with markers at the wall on the walls. Like, not being used to VR, that shit is insane. Uh, Leland, did you ever try it at Marty's? No, I, I haven't. Uh, and, you know, I've been humming and hawing about getting uh, a VR headset for, you know, a year and a half. <laughs> just still, like... I want one and like I'm convinced that it's dope and I will eventually get something but it's just a matter of pulling the trigger on it but no unfortunately like that that would obviously that would be the top of my list like that's what that's what VR when somebody thinks about VR that's what Half-Life Alex is right like or as close to it as you get when you conceptualize virtual reality it sounds like mm-hmm. 
And there's something just about, like, it feels like almost like alien. Like, I mean, if you were to take the half take Half Life Alex and just make it into a generic first person shooter, I mean, other than you know Valve storytelling, I don't know if there would be really anything to, that necessarily stands out from any other game. Um, but playing in VR just really is something else because it's it, it really just has great atmosphere. It's really tense. It's generally one of the the more um, yeah the scarier games that I have on VR. Like I have a couple of games that are pretty like pretty gnarly but that one in particular is like and and the crazy thing is too is that what's great about vr is when shit is coming at you and you have to reload it's not as simple as pressing a button you're like taking out the um you know um and reload taking out the way i'm trying to say the clip and trying to you know chuck it in there and especially when things are walking towards you you're getting nervous and you're like fumbling it a little bit and um yeah, I just think that's really where it excels, and uh, I'm I'm I sound like a spokesperson for VR, but I actually it's part of my job now, and I own a VR headset, and I'm a little bit obsessed. But yeah, I would say pull the trigger on VR, good shit. Yeah, you know I'm gonna buy headsets sooner or later too, especially if they've got that one that's supposed to be the Quest. I think it's like a yeah, yeah Oculus yeah like Oculus Two or something. Like, it, it's got good motion sensor, but I don't have to put, like, a bunch of things around my apartment or whatever just to get the motion sensing. Yeah, that's the one I have. It's like, I again, I sound like a spokesperson, but every t- time I talk to uh, someone, it's because I'm the only one who has one, and I'm always trying to get other people to buy <laughs> one, because, like, maybe I'll have someone to play with or something. But I'm like, dude, it's like two ninety nine, and they're like, I don't have a PC. I'm like, you don't fucking need a PC, dude. It's just, like, works out of the box. You put it in, and you just draw, like, a little bit of boundary you maybe need like six feet by six feet that's a pretty good space to have but it's like a mobile device you buy you get a 64 gigabyte hard drive built into your uh into your headset and you're good to go the only bullshit is you have to make a facebook account which honestly i i don't blame anyone for being like fuck that well that you're actually encouraging me to get it more i mean 2.99 holy crap for you can't beat it i mean yeah that's like probably american pricing but still it's it's on the cheaper end it's as far as consoles goes yeah, I actually know someone quite high up at uh, Oculus. Um, she actually was my first date ever. You know, oh, I don't right know on, if you know, right but uh, Tanya is uh, very high uh, up at uh, Oculus. So, yeah, Leland, the final evolution of VR will be you and me with those headsets. Even though we live a five-minute drive apart, we'll digitally be in your <laughs> recording studio fumbling yeah. with our show notes virtually exactly yeah that's that's shuffling our papers our virtual papers (laughs) that's the 21st century for you right there oh my god don't even that i don't want i don't want to mix my fun (laughs) and my uh work i mean yeah but no (laughs) see we're turning you off of vr i know i know i'm getting you guys onto vr and you're turning me off of vr (laughs) but yeah uh just to wrap up the whole blizzard um thing yeah, unfortunately, I'm probably not the most knowledgeable person to ask, but it feels like in a controversy episode and when we're releasing this, it feels like we kind of have to bring it up. So um, I'm probably not the best person. If you want to know, you should just look it up. Um, but uh, can I actually bring up another controversy maybe that I know slightly more about that's a movie controversy okay. that's also recent. Us. Do you guys know about the Scarlett Johansson uh, versus Disney lawsuit that's happening right now? No, this is one of mine for our segment. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, 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 guys. Sorry, I'll yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, we didn't know we're, we're doing it live, so but we will hold that one. We'll hold that thought until the segment then. Where okay. We can expand on that. <laughs> All right. I I don't know anything about this, and I'm I'm interested in hearing this. 
I, I don't, I feel like I'm living under a rock, but I've been too busy. I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't heard that because that's actually, it's pretty new in the development. Not really much has happened in it, but you're like, you say, we'll, we'll get to it. In well, our, our yeah. And I mean, I had six fucking hours of Justice League leagues to watch this past <laughs> weekend as well as being, you know, feeling bad for my second back. So oh, yeah, yeah, that's my right. excuse. Um, Leland, do you, do you have a banter? Yeah. Okay. I got banter. So. Uh, I just finished all seven seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I had never, I hadn't watched it when it was new or airing. Just for some reason, I guess I had never, never got into it. And I was pleasantly surprised. It's not the best TV. It's not the worst. Uh, I would definitely say it's above average. The The beginning seasons were, were clearly tied into the MCU because basically it was, it was started airing around Winter Soldier, right? So the first uh, season is like about the Hydra being secret and shield and take or and taking over right and then quickly it kind of branches away from the overall mcu and 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 feels less and less like it's part of the mcu and until at one point eventually like the whole the series just ignores like the snap right Hmm. oh okay but that i looked i looked into that and that was because abc studios like there was zero communication between marvel and you know, the the showrunners of, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nobody was talking. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. creators had no idea what was happening or upcoming in the MCU. So there was no possible way for them to react to it, right, until like a full season season later. But I liked it. I, I would recommend it for sure. I mean, you get Coulson back. Coulson's a, a great character. Um, the ensemble cast is pretty good. I think they, they eventually, some of them grew on me. And then took a little longer than others, but I don't know. That's all. I, th- I find that always happens when you have a large cast of people. So is it safe to assume that probably like the Netflix, because they have like the Netflix Cloak and Dagger, um, whatever Agents of Shield, pretty much anything that hasn't any TV show that hasn't been made in the new Disney Plus format is basically retconned at this point. Because I, I, I wonder that, because they also had that other one that was really uh, the Inhumans, that's just like, I, I'm sure yeah. they wish they just never made it all. And the whole Netflix stuff is definitely dubious at that. Like, I wonder if... I don't really know what... Yeah, I don't know what's canonized. I think it's just, like, all canonized. And I was reading, like, many of the TV shows, regardless of their air date, they're considered to be happening pre-snap. So they don't have to deal with it. Uh, so whether or not you think that really pulls it out of canon, I guess, is up to your opinion, I suppose. But, yeah, you're right. It feels like, who cares? Because, like, it's interesting, some of the things that are happening in Agent Shield, like, Agent and Shield has a lot to do with Inhumans. A, a lot to do with Inhumans in the later, like, the later half of the entire series is, like, Inhuman-based and involved somehow mm-hmm. with the Inhumans. So and I haven't watched the Inhumans uh, uh, series so i have no idea what happens in that or how that's connected if at all um the way agent shield kind of explains the inhumans is you know they have something to do with the kree and whether or not that's what's portrayed in the inhuman series again i have no idea so you're right it's just like impossible to really know what exactly is is canon and like agents of shield also kind of explores in the last season two seasons like the like the multiverse theory and to date in the mcu it almost feels like with with like loki and wandavision it's like 
they're in those series are incepting the concept of the multiverse and you know light spoilers for some of them maybe creating the multiverse so it's like yeah i guess you just ignore it and enjoy it for what it was what it is which is what i did right as soon as i realized oh this is really not having to do anything with like yeah the events are happening in the mcu the films and there's you know there you get mentions like the sokovia accords play a part in agent shield as well but basically from then on out it's like okay they're just off doing their own thing which again if if you're hoping for a crazy tie-in cool thing with shield going on it's not really what you're gonna get yeah i also heard there was like some book that appears in wandavision that also appeared in um yeah that agency of shield too that yeah probably yeah. most the dark yeah Wars. okay there you go but yeah so i'm, I'm curious because i used to actually like and, and they, they both got shitty after a while unfortunately but i used to both like the flash and uh arrow yeah Same. okay there you go and, and those shows like for like and kind of reminds me of what you described like for what they are they're pretty good but you know you're not watching prestige television is that where agents of shield kind of sort of fit for you or or what I would I would think Agent of Shield is far from like getting the CW treatment. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's I it's I think it's better it's better than a CW show for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I just think I think they have I think more thought was put into it. I don't know, but you know what though? Like Ezra Miller's Flash met uh, the Barry Allen Flash from the TV series, so like all of that is connected through again this the multiverse shit, right? And multiple universes, so. They can do whatever the fuck they want and just say, oh, well, that's another, that's a parallel universe. That's Earth 189 or whatever, right? They can do whatever the fuck they want. It is pretty interesting that both, um, yeah, both of them got to the to the multiverse um, uh, first. Or sorry, not first, but both DC and Marvel both um, started doing their whole multiverse thing at the same time, it really seems like. And um, we're going to get into it later, but I feel like there's a lot of similarities to, uh, to Justice League, uh, especially the Zack Snyder version to Infinity War. And those were technically made at the same time, and I don't think there was, and I don't think one influenced the other. I think I think in both cases it just seems to be coincidental. I think you you see the influence of one of the other just based on bringing in Whedon, obviously, as he try clearly comes in and tries to marvelize a few aspects of right. uh, the DC movie. Oh yeah, the twenty seventeen, yeah, and that uh, Whedon cut the yeah. Well, and of course, like that was you know when that was originally they were putting out a release slate. For DC, like that was supposed to be a two-parter. Justice League was supposed to be two parts too, right? That quickly got abolished, I guess, and here we are. <laughs> Which we again, we will get to. Yeah, we, well, will we will get, get to. We our first segment is literally all about this. So uh, hold that thought, gentlemen. We'll we'll dive into it. Um, but and I know we want to get to that segment pretty quick here. So um, you know, I'll finish off with my banter. You know, I have two two small ones. And I'll just fire them off back to back. The first is I was very disappointed with the I Think You Should Leave Season 2. Um, I was really looking forward to that on Netflix. The first yeah. season had me in stitches. I don't yeah. actually know if I laughed the second season. It just it felt different. It felt off. And I don't even know what, really, what re- humor they were really going after. Now there may... See, I kind of finished Season 1, which I hadn't finished when we were right into Season 2. There may have been an episode in season two that I laughed at. If that was the game show one where the game show like uh, 
mascot kept coming out and beating the crap out of that one guy for getting questions wrong but i that could have also been like the last episode of season one but anyway season two sucked in my opinion it was a complete disappointment sorry i was just gonna say i i've seen season one uh, i like season one i started season two and uh i i uh you know what i've heard from a lot of people the same thing and to be fair i've only seen the first two episodes and there's a few that i can i uh I like, and the f- the problem is right now they're not just <laughs> not coming to me, so it doesn't sound very. I don't sound very convincing when I'm saying that, but there was a few that I liked. But I I genuinely felt like, and I don't know if what what uh, if you felt like this, but it almost felt more cynical and mean spirited than the first season did. Did you get that vibe? Yes. Right. Yes. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And yeah, the first season was more kind of goofy and lighthearted, and people just doing stupid stuff. In the second season, like you said, just seem mean and dark and i'm like you know year and a half into a pandemic this is not really what i want to see especially when i'm not laughing so yeah i i did enjoy the haunted house sketch but i think again that was like again that was also like a pretty like aggressive sort of uh sketch do you know what i'm talking about yeah is that the one with the garfield house that what's well, that one it's, or no it's the one oh no you're talking about the first season i'm thinking of in the second okay, the, the second no it's all good the second season is the i got i do know when you're talking about that one's hilarious too um but it is a uh uh no they just go go to uh the, the guy says like oh we're you, you could say anything in, um, in these walls the ghost can hear you like as a kind of an offhanded joke and this guy just kind of runs with it and is just saying like inappropriate things the entire time and the guy oh, yeah. and the guy has to keep like stopping the whole time um that that particular sketch had me in stitches. So there was there was a there was a few, but like um, I, I get it, I get the criticism. But I just wanted to throw my two cents in there. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, my second banter there, I just want to throw out is um, just how much Space Jam: A New Legacy has kind of fallen flat on its feet. Like apparently, it's like a meme now. I mean, it still made a hundred and twenty million dollars, but that's worldwide. That's not just in the U.S and um i just it got terrible ratings apparently it's filled with product placement and it's just like a complete disappointment compared to the uh original and and leland i know you in particular love the original space jam um yeah have you heard this about the sequel and and is it tainted you really wanting to see it um well i never really wanted to see it uh listener may recall forever ago we actually did a condescending controversy on the merits of a second space jam and i won like always uh so that's nothing to be surprised about but it's because i'm a (laughs) pushover like you know this the release day for this came and went and i had no idea all of a sudden it's like you just see it everywhere because like now it's released and it's all over the it's all over the fucking place so I don't know. I can't say I'm surprised. I'm curious to hear your thoughts uh, as a fellow uh, Space Jam lover, because this is my thing. There's a lot of movies that I loved when I was a kid. But my argument is until you've seen them recently and you can wholeheartedly say they stand up just because you loved them as a kid uh, doesn't mean they're great movies. And I fucking love Space Jam as a kid. And I probably watched just the intro of the come on and slam and welcome. And they have all the highlights and they fucking, <laughs> yeah. which is still dope, by the way, which is still just a sick highlight reel, which by the way, I heard come on and slam is not even in this new one, which to me, like if I wasn't going to see it already, I was guaranteed not going to see it. 
Well, the, the best part of the original is the soundtrack. Like the soundtrack is killer. The soundtrack's killer. The, the CD of the soundtrack, the original Space Jam, and it was like the only thing I listened to for like two years afterwards. Even like, R. Kelly, man, it's still a good tune. Even though we don't like R. Kelly anymore, still it's still good. good talk. Good song. Um, <laughs> but no, but like I, I. Like I think there's some like it does have some merit like some of the Bill Murray stuff and the in the in the movie is good one itself aware but I I mean I don't really feel like it holds up or is as good as we imagined it to be so I, um and I don't know how if you maybe feel differently like even for me it's like watching like something like maybe Batman Forever something I enjoyed as a kid or even the Star Wars prequels like I get into arguments about people about the Star Wars prequels all the time like I'm like dude I love memeing them too and I loved them as a kid but I'm like I watched those like um all back to back recently just as just for fun with my friends i don't know why we did it but we're like we're gonna watch all the prequels back to back in one day and dude they were so fucking boring those movies are so goddamn boring <laughs> like that's the biggest crime not only do they not age well like cg wise and the acting is flat but there's so much just sitting in rooms and talking and just like boring like and they say they're kids movies people argue that they're kids movies i was like no they're talking about a trade dispute in the first one. What is is a kids movie about this one? So as far as like Space Jam 1, I do kind of like, I'm sort of like, yeah, I like it, the Bill Murray stuff, the sort of self-awareness and and, and MJ was iconic and, and, and it does have, you know, it, it certainly has merit, but I wouldn't consider it by any means a classic or even a good movie by that uh, matter. So like, and, and I've heard even have people be like, dude, like, how can you say that? I'm like, no, dude, trust me. I'm I'm a big space jam like anybody else, but like I also just know what it is. And 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 you know, like and, and people are even are looking at this new one, like, oh yeah, it's like such a corporate product, like a cynical corporate product. I'm like, well yeah, I mean the first one was based off of a it wasn't like a Nike ad with Bugs Bunny in it with MJ. Like it would yeah, yeah that was, was the basis was of it. Like, yeah, it, it it was a corporate ad, and at least, you know, the movie had a little bit more more fun with that. But um so I so yeah I'm sorry I'm, anyways my point is I'm curious to know where you kind of stand on the first Space Jam. No, I mean I agree. Like you can't let the lens of nostalgia, you know, paint with such a broad brush. You, if something sucks, it sucks. Whether or not you liked it as a kid and was looking at it through rose colored glasses, like you gotta take the you gotta take the glasses off and uh, be able to critique something, you know, without any of your personal feelings kind of coming into it. I guess. Uh, but again, like. That's how a lot of people enjoy crappy shit. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? But then that right that begs the question of like, then we probably don't need a sequel to this, right? Like, let's just enjoy for this for what this is. Oh, we know we we did not need a sequel. No, we they should never have sullied the, the Space Jam legacy with <laughs> this with this new crash. with this new legacy that we're they're trying to sell us on. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, my coworker at work kind of inspired this because he's super into lebron like lebron is like his god and he's like yeah he's not good in this like he tries too hard he tries to outdo michael jordan like he tries to do in the basketball court as well but you know he's just not that charismatic because he was forcing it and i mean it's a tough thing to do to dance around with all these you know 3d creatures that get animated in later when he's probably talking to a tennis ball on a stick most of the time so yeah but i mean M- michael jordan was shit in space jam too it just he wasn't comparing himself to michael jordan <laughs> you know 20 30 years later no but also michael jordan i don't feel tried 
too hard. Say, yeah. He was more closer to his real persona, which is just like, chill, do whatever, dude. Let's shoot this movie so I can go gamble in Vegas. Hey, yo. That's true. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's the thing. They don't really write him any jokes. Like, he looks like he doesn't want to be there, which he didn't. Like, I, if you watched, I'm sure you guys all watched The Last Dance, right? Do you guys watch it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like he just wa- he just played hoops the whole time. And then you'd come in, shoot your scenes, like he didn't want to fucking be there. And and I don't know. I I think that's again that that somehow that movie works and that's um uh, and, and and maybe they figured that out, maybe they realized that and, and um and they played to those strengths. And uh most people forget like Ivan Reitman produced the first uh Space Jam, if I'm not um mistaken. And like I'm sure that even had some influence on it and from what we know again it's funny that you bring up space jam and controversy uh because they fired their director and this was not an easy shoot so man there's con- controversies everywhere it was kind of hard to nail down what i actually wanted to talk about so uh it's part of part of the fun so have you seen space jam or you just talk about like you think it's like you're kind of bummed out that sucks no i i haven't seen it just yet um honestly from everything i've heard it's probably going to be something like i i wait for streaming or at worst rent on youtube for like four bucks Mm -hmm. like when it comes out but i mean certainly not gonna buy it and i've got lots of other priorities you know to to watch i got you in it you're gonna watch shattered glass so hey you know i gotta watch shattered glass again yep i I hope that is uh easily findable on stream but i don't think it is i got a handy uh, app that tells me and I think I'm going to have to do it the old-fashioned way, which is illegal downloading. There you go. <laughs> Vintage early 2000s. There you go. Let's I, get our LimeWire. I was going to say, I still use LimeWire, guys. That's I uh, <laughs> go-to. I have to scrub through 50 minutes of porn ads to get to the movie, but goddamn, is it worth it? You know, once once you see it, we'll connect on our GeoCities site and discuss. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> On that note, there's no pleasant way of uh, segueing, but uh, Leland, you actually no way. Well, I'll, I'll take this segment. You take the next one because uh, this is time for movie musings. And as we alluded to, we're uh, going to discuss Snyder versus Whedon. Uh, this section is called Snyder versus Whedon: The Justified Cut. Which Ooh. cut is justified? How? Good title. Why? Solid. Solid. And like Mike. This is really the meat of the bones tonight. We have other cool shit to discuss, but this is where it all started. So I want to start by opening the floor to you. How in your mind did you get this as your impetus of something you really wanted to discuss, was passionate about, and some opening thoughts on these? Wow, starting with me, eh? Okay. Well, yeah, I I have some, uh, I have an interesting, semi-interesting history with the Snyder Cut, and just that I was sort of... I mean, who wasn't aware of it when it initially started? But everybody sort of laughed at it, right? And rightfully so. And the interesting thing is, like, even after it happened, I've seen a lot of people go after, like, you know, journalists and scoopers and be like, you never believed the Snyder Cut would cut would exist. And I'm like, dude, like, who really thought it would be possible, right? So getting back to the, uh, the initial, um, like, how I kind of started um, thinking about the Snyder Cut and all that. Um, so I'm a DC uh, fanboy and that doesn't mean like that i give them the movies the dc movies a pass uh man of steel is okay shazam is good wonder woman's pretty good suicide squad sucks batman vs superman sucks um the original justice league cut sucks um so i'm not a dc defender by any means right but i just love the characters i love batman and i love the flash 
Uh, so I saw Justice League when it came out, and like everybody else, I was disappointed. And I even remember when um, Whedon was originally uh, brought on, I actually thought it was a good thing. I was like, oh, this could be good for the movie, right? Like, you know, because back to my, to my thoughts on Snyder, I've always felt like, and I'll get uh, more into this, where I think actually Justice League works in this regard, but I've actually always felt that what Snyder's movies lack are soul. And I think... And I haven't seen Dawn of the Dead in a while, so maybe Dawn of the Dead breaks this mold, but I've always felt like Snyder, even when he kind of tries to be sentimental, I always feel like his characters with me are always at arm's reach, that I can never really connect him to them in any sort of way. And every scene that has, you know, two characters even trying to connect on an emotional level, it usually just kind of feels um, hollow to me. It really feels empty, and and really do I rarely do I ever feel anything really sort of genuine about it. it never really feels like it's from the art it seems like he's not really interested in characters as he much as interested in themes and you know other stuff like visuals and all that good stuff um so i thought maybe the having we come in and i didn't like ultron but i liked avengers i thought maybe that actually could bring some life to what i perceived could be a, a lifeless project um from snyder and as as the movie started um marketing started to come out um, I started noticing some things in the trailer, like the sky changing. And, you know, WB had said going in that, you know, they weren't going to change anything, that they're sticking with Sire's vision. I was like, okay, the sky's changing color. And some of the shots seem a little bit weird, but okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in. But then I started seeing like weird green screen reaction shots. And I was like that. So even from the trailers, I was noticing things that I was like, because I was looking for them because I'm a fucking nerd like that <laughs> so when i was hearing about this i was like and i was like i wonder if i'm gonna be able to spot where like the seams of this movie and where it reshoots so then clips started coming out and i became very aware i was like i don't know guys like i remember going on the red sub forums and be like guys i don't know man it kind of looks bad like even like ben Aff like they're releasing clips of the movie and ben affleck would have like you know like we've seen eventually seen the movie you know he's significantly heavier in one shot to the other um and i was like i am i the only one noticing it and all the fanboys were kind of like no 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 man like you're just like people are just looking for it and um this brings me back to your guys' discussion with your the, your vfx guy the other day and that great vfx and great anything in most films like even great a great soundtrack in some regards not always sometimes you want your your track soundtrack to stand out but there's certain elements, especially CG, that you don't want to stand out. And like Leland said uh, eloquently in the best episode, it's like, last episode, it was like, you know, it sucks because when they stand out and they suck, you get shit for it. And when they're really good, nobody notices. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, tons of CGI. David Fincher, big guy, uh, big into using um, CGI. He uses all of his movies. He uses it for all of his blood effects. I had no idea until recently. Um, he even has this great scene where um, Daniel Craig is getting showered and he's getting like, and he's covered in blood and it's all purely CGI and you just wouldn't even know it because it's a David Fincher movie. You assume that this man's all about practical effects, but CG, you know, used very well is, is anyways, back, back to the movie. Um, it, it, it wasn't looking good already. And then of course the movie comes out, everybody, even it's just not just me, everybody can see you know, whether it's the Henry Cavill mustache, we all know about the mustache gate at the beginning. And I think a lot of people obviously were disappointed. Anyways, I started going on Reddit a little bit and people started leaking the original story. So actually probably not, maybe even a month after this movie came out, I had, I knew what Zack Snyder's Justice League was, which was this movie. So in some ways, when I actually saw the movie, 
I, I there were some things I didn't know, but there was actually a lot of things that I, I did and I wasn't surprised by. I would, um, but anyways, despite my feelings towards Snyder, I was kind of like, well, this seems kind of awesome though, right? Like this is kind of a movie I would want to see. And uh, eventually, like, you know, I guess the fans sort of didn't really let up and I would, and I sort of followed it as it went. And it was probably in, I can't remember when it got announced. It might've been in 2019 or something like that. I just remember at some point I'd, when it comes to like movie uh, rumors, when there's smoke, there's fire. And I just could not stop hearing about the Snyder cut. And people kept saying that it actually, and there was rumors that it could happen despite some of the major publications, even Warner Brothers saying it wasn't. And I remember even saying to my friends one time, I was like, I could, and it was probably like months before it even got announced. I was like, you know what? I think that Snyder cut thing actually might happen. I was like, I don't know what it is. I just have this feeling it could happen because I keep hearing about it. It just doesn't seem to go away, but maybe it will happen. And and I'd also sort of heard the idea of like, you know, and then the, you know, the avenue of streaming came around and I was like, well, they could release it on streaming. Um, and then anyways, eventually sort of, that's exactly what, happened and they did release it um on streaming and because it made sense and because of the pandemic um of course and the fact that vfx artists needed work and that's the thing people will shit on about how this movie got made and say it's toxic um fandom or whatever but the great thing you could look about this movie is that it employed a lot of people um when it was made a lot of people that needed work so it was good a lot of people won in this scenario there's a lot of there's a lot of winning involved um, despite whatever fucking precedent you might set, um, I honestly don't think listening to your fans is always a bad thing. Call me crazy, but I can see why people maybe go about it in a poor way. But anyways, point being, um, I, yeah, I watched the movie. I watched it at midnight and when it came out and I watched the full four hours, uh, I had to go uh, train the next day. So I probably only got like a few hours of sleep and it also had like a shitload of junk food because again, I was stoked. And uh, I had, like, just from a from a film standpoint, like, I was just excited when this movie got made because I was like, no matter what, I just think this is, like, there's nothing like this that ever existed in, in film, uh, in the film history as far as I'm concerned. Like, the only thing that I can imagine that comes close is the Donner cut, where somebody has gone back and, like, finished the, the director's original um, vision of a movie. One other that I would put out there is the Blade Runner final cut, um, just because... Um, Oh, why? Why is his name on the tip of my tongue? Uh, Ridley Scott, or yeah, Ridley Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott. You know, he got his full reign to cut the movie however he wanted, um, which is what Snyder ended up getting to do himself. Right, but this movie wasn't finished, and okay, it, 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 yes. it, it was sorry, it was finished shooting, but he did have to. Um, and there are moments actually where he put moments in that were used of like you know, composing different shots. Um, and we can maybe get into that later. And he did shoot the little nightmare sequence after, but they, the difference, I guess, is that they had whatever, however, 200 million probably that they had to spend finishing it. Um, but anyways, short thoughts on the movie, because um, I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. But that's just my short, brief history of But But I, I really enjoyed it, not just as a film, but just as a film fan, because I was excited to be able to see like what we hear all the time about movies and, and uh, being compromised um, by, you know, studios. And we might even talk about a little bit about them in the controversy section, but we never get to go back and see those movies. We just hear about them. And, 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 and like, 
and it's just it's kind of baffling in some ways because this really is not a good look for the um for warner brothers in my opinion but we'll get into that but yeah anyways i i was uh i was thrilled not just by the um by the movie itself but just the release in general i was, I was excited to see it yeah let's uh go with you next uh leland what's your experience with the the two films uh well i mean yeah i, I love the cider cut i mean i spoke about it uh i think in an episode after it had actually come out i'd watch it right away uh like you had mike and i mean this it was great i fucking loved it i mean obviously it was too long and there's a lot of shit that could be cut out but like yeah i think i mentioned in that episode you it's it's difficult to even critique this like a normal film because snyder didn't give a fuck about making a marketable film like you say he had free reign to do whatever he wants so Mm -hmm. it's very clear and this may is obviously it's going to vary from director to director but there needs to be the middle ground between letting the director go, you know, full bore and what the studio reins them in on. Like that's what makes a great movie is that, that common ground in a lot of the time. So you need the influence from both sides. And I think this is like the epitome of, you know, we have so many examples of the other way of the studio getting exactly what they want and things bombing. Now we have the, the, the other example of that. And I mean, how do you even say this, this, how do you even measure whether or not this was a bomb or not? Like, I think this, this movie is just like, it's just like set, it's set like three steps to the side of anything that you would critique as far as normal industry standards kind of thing. And the, the, the 2017 version, I think I wasn't excited for it in theaters. I think I watched it on a, a plane ride to Paris in like 2018 or something. And yeah, it was what it was. Mm. <laughs> like, that's about it. Well, I had an interesting experience with it because I had not seen either version of the film until last week. And because of that, in knowing that the Snyder Cut is Snyder's, obviously, his original vision, I decided to watch the Snyder Cut first. And I watched it in one sitting, all four hours. And I immediately, immediately moved into the 2017 version right after with everything fresh. I basically, in like, I mean, I took a little break to sleep, but... It's pretty much like in a, I don't know, 12-hour period, I watched no six way. hours of uh, Justice League. <laughs> and having that freshness and seeing the proper version and its richness and character development and consistency, and then compare that to the 2017 version, the 2017 version was, was frankly garbage. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't use that language strongly, or sorry, I don't use that language lightly, but it was just rushed from scene to scene. There was almost no character development. And while I understand that Whedon was forced to cut the movie in about two hours because studios love that two-hour block where they can do more showings at theaters and earn more money, which, by the way, is part of the reason why the Snyder Cut wouldn't have existed if history wasn't how history was, Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have gotten away with a four hour cut originally. I think the studio, you know, would have really kind of hamstrung him down to that two, two and a half hour range. So that's one of my points to discuss is could the Snyder cut even exist other than this tumultuous history, which by the way, listener, we haven't mentioned this yet. Uh, It was because Snyder's daughter actually uh, uh, killed herself. Um, Very sad story. And they actually dedicated name's autumn they dedicated the schneider cut to her because i say they because uh schneider's wife was actually producer on as well so it's kind of a family project 
But the other problem that I don't forgive Whedon is the dialogue. He tries to force in that stupid Marvel light-hearted dialogue. But first of all, it's some of the worst dialogue I think he's ever done that I've seen. Second of all, it has no place in a DC Universe film. Now, DC has its darker side, but even DC's normal side is darker than Marvel's normal side. Mm. And you can't make a DC movie into a Marvel movie. And I wanted to grab my screen and be like, Joss, what are you doing? And apparently there's all this trash going on behind the scene. I'm not going to mention specifics, but Eric Petey, uh, Mike, we actually discussed with Eric Petey because, of course, we stay in touch with everybody. We love all our guests. And we mentioned that this is what we we're going to discuss. And, of course, Eric's worked on this movie like every other movie in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and he's like, yeah, Whedon was... Um, Whedon was difficult to deal with when that happened. And it wasn't a good situation uh, for the animators. So, uh, yeah, my my opening thoughts are the Snyder Cut is much, much better. It's I loved it. I didn't feel it was too long, by the way. Like, that's why I could do it in one sitting. I was amazed how quickly the hours were flying by. But I don't believe that movie would have existed had this unfortunate set of circumstances with his daughter and the, the Whedon Cut. Of course not. This movie wouldn't have existed in its form even if Snyder finished it in the first place. Like you say, studios would have cut it, cut it down. Mm. So this this move, the Snyder cut is the chicken and the egg because right. the mm. Snyder cut incepted itself. Like, because you have to, you have to, like the weed, the weed version had to have been an influence on Snyder when he went back to get a chance to do it. Right? Like, there's no way it couldn't possibly have been in the back of his head making the decisions that he did. Is that I checked now could be wrong, but it's on like Wikipedia, <laughs> but apparently Zack Snyder never saw the Whedon cut. Yep. That is what he says. Um, which I, I can believe. Okay. But what, yeah. I, okay, sorry, sorry. No, no, yeah, you, but what I mean when I say the influence, I don't mean scenes ripped from the Whedon cut. I mean the whole process of Whedon coming in there's no fucking way Snyder is not aware of how panned oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whedon's Justice okay. League is. Yes. yes, That's what I mean when I say right. influence. Because obviously Snyder probably has his own personal axe to grind. One, I mean, maybe with Whedon, probably not. But with the studio, probably, right? So he's coming in there and he's going to swing his big dick around, which is exactly what he did. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. why we got this. The movie that we, that we, we got. This is pure. This is undistilled Zack Snyder is what what it is. I want to elaborate on that point because I totally like, I wholeheartedly agree with you that this is pure Zack Snyder. But what I kind of hinted at earlier was, is was my feelings towards um, Zack Snyder and the way he treats his characters and sort of their, uh, my my distance I feel with them. Right. And I think Zack Snyder actually is very good at, um, you know, uh, portraying these characters at larger than life, right? I mean, he even shoots them on the four by th- uh, three frame, and everybody just feels big and hulking in the frame. And one thing I was noticing upon rewatch is like every time somebody's boots are hitting the pavement, it's like with a fucking loud thud. Like even Batman feels like he's right wearing the suit of armor. And every time, every time, like, and it's weird because you almost don't even, um, I almost even don't even think you get that from Marvel. There's something about even these like six characters; they just feel like very. Um, yeah, like very larger than life and how he wants to portray them. And, you know, he does that with Leonidas in a lot of ways. He's been doing it with Superman. But again, like the emotional stuff never really worked for me. And where I think in a lot of ways that, yes, this movie is very Snyder, but I think 
the ways it's not Snyder is just sort of, um, I guess, the the humor and heart that I didn't expect to get from it. Like, I I, um, I didn't have that problem. Like, I really was emotionally connected to a lot of the stories in this, especially, obviously, the Silas Stone and um, Victor Stone relationship. I felt that way a little bit, even just a little bit we got with Barry and his dad. So in a lot of ways, like, I, I, I and maybe in, and I don't know if it is maybe the sort of what happened with his daughter when he was filming it, but it does, it somehow to me feels like it, this movie almost came from the heart in a lot of ways. And I actually felt that in the scenes. I know that sounds very strange, but I've never been able to really connect with his movies um, on an, any sort of emotional level, except this one. And I think that's where for me, it, it, it's enhanced. And actually, um, which always, which actually kind of surprised me when we were talking about the cuts, because we were talking about unforgettable things that Whedon does. Like it's not even just like, uh, like when I watched it, I, I kind of expected the, the changes to be like, Oh, I bet this is like fairly humorless and I might struggle with like feeling like, you know, any emotion towards these characters, but he ruined the emotional scenes that really actually worked. And even some of the, the, the little bits of banter and jokes, like really made me laugh that were that, that were fairly much stronger for than weed and stuff that he put in, like that. I, I wouldn't even expect it. Like a, a standup joke to me is just when, um, Flash runs past uh, Superman and then he takes out Aquaman and Aquaman gives him the point or whatever or the other scene where he's putting on both the hats and then he's like the first one's bad and then he puts on the second one he's like is this one better he's like I don't know try the first one again like there's a lot of good banter and humor between the scenes that like my impression going in was that Whedon was gonna Whedon was fixing those things but he just like made it worse like any change that he made i don't think there's a single change that he he made better anything that he did nope not in my opinion and i was looking for that i was looking for that i was like okay it started out sucky and i'm like he's going to redeem himself somehow but but he doesn't and comparison is the worst thing because maybe it's not even a fair comparison because of how this snyder cut got to be i mean zach had all the advantages when he came back to to cut it but there was nothing like even the end with superman you know i love that scene where superman is walking through his ship in the snyder cut he's kind of pondering like his suits come out of the walls kind of pondering what he's about to do and that he's back and you know in the whedon cut he just kind of flies in you know (laughs) punches punches the you know the bad guy a few times we don't even see dark seed or we're He's barely mentioned mm-hmm. in 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 the uh, Whedon cut. Well, the entire the entire story has changed, right? The Snyder cut story is 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 different, and it's it may it may uh, not appear as different uh, or or more the differences may be more subtle, but it's pretty vastly different. Sure. And a lot of those differences, like you said, might play into where some of the heart comes in the Snyder cut. Uh, again, like yeah, Snyder cuts very cyborg heavy, uh, for whatever reason, uh, take it or leave it. But yeah, I I really like um, uh, Cyborg's dad and their their relationship. But like you know, like Cyborg is a, plays a pretty pivotal role of like getting rid of Steppenwolf, pulling pulling apart the Mother Box again, and Snyder cut right. Like all, all there's a lot of different things that uh, in the Wien version kind of discorporates. The, the actual characters from the from the story and then you take away uh, again like you said putting them at arms arms distance i think that 
it's a pretty good uh, description of that. Yeah, well, back to what you're saying about that crucial element of um, of ripping the part um, um, the boxes in, and Moby, you just mentioning Superman, that makes me um, what brings me to another point of um, what I liked better about the the climax as well in the Zack Snyder uh, cut is um, one thing I appreciate is yes, we still get the Superman coming back and saving the day, but it's more just to help them with Superman. I like that I at least felt to a degree that every member of the league had to bring something to the table. Like you had Aquaman and Wonder Woman were taking care of Steppenwolf. You had Cyborg on the boxes. You had Barry running around and um, generating speed. And you had Batman protecting the tower from the parademons and making sure that no one took out Barry, which he kind of fucks up because Barry gets hit. But, uh... Which, again... (laughs) Batman, by the way, is another character that is mercifully killed in the um in the weeding cut um and is uh so 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 much better in uh in the snyder cut yeah but i mean even so he's like still useless i mean that's the problem mm. with live action justice league in general for me is like batman is just like he's he's useless like if you animated version he can be way more agile i mean obviously bat batfleck's not supposed to be like the agile assassin ninja i mean you yeah, because uh, as little as Batman can be removed from that aspect of the character is kind of what he was in the Whedon version, but like, like he's just ultimately useless. Like he's he's in he's in his car most of the time in the movie because of course he is because he's just a dude. <laughs> I know, yeah, he, he he's probably what drives like three big ass vehicles, four actually, if you take that uh, credit sequence where they had the tank from the Dark Knight Returns. Right, um, right, 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 right. Well, so I think overall. <laughs> I think overall the differences between the two films for me is this like the abandonment with the Whedon version as far as the like uh, injustice storyline for lack of a better term right where soups goes goes dark and goes bad whereas obviously the Snyder Cut had aspirations of leading into something much much larger with that uh, you know with all the, the apocalypse scenes and shit but it just feels like with the Whedon version, it was this. It was just like you know what? Let's just back off from that, and let's not completely commit to that course for these for the uh, for our franchise for our DCEU, uh, because we uh, yeah, maybe they want to be a little little more hands off with that stuff. Because one, like the Snyder Cut and the direction the Snyder Cut was going with all of that would have been great like five to ten years ago. I feel like at this point, nobody wants to see an evil Superman because it's been done so much. But, like, you know, like, 2010 Evil Superman storyline? Like, I think the audiences would eat that shit up. But uh, for me, at least, it's 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 old hat now. It's played out too much. Mm. Yeah, especially with uh, I Super Loon to both The Boys and Invincible doing the same thing. Mm, good point. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. Point. Yeah, both. both uh, I, I, I feel you. The Evil Superman um, trope is, is definitely played out. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, it, it does make me wonder about... Um, back to your question about whether this movie could be released in 2017 i definitely agree with you uh there leland that yeah i don't think we would have gotten this movie and and i think but i do think that you know people watch three-hour movies like you know avengers endgame kind of got to that three-hour mark i i think there's a three-hour cut in this movie that works like i know i know for a fact that if you cut out all those end credit scenes it brings you about to like the two and a half or sorry (laughs) three and a half hour mark so there you go there's your half hour right right there which i i i actually that that brings me to my vote i gotta bring this up what did maybe what's your overall your guys overall thoughts and maybe specifically go and tell me about the joker what your thoughts on that was 
I'll start because I, I mean, listener knows how much I hate Jared Leto. I liked the way, I liked his look. And I liked the idea of Batman being forced to work with Joker. But again, the dialogue for that scene was just not good. It wasn't good. <laughs> it was very really? weird. It wasn't good. No, no, I, no. That is I really change. liked like, it. it. Was, no, it was stupid, dude. It was not good. I, I thought it, <laughs> it was, was pretty not, bold. The reach around it was comment, not I was those like, characters. Ooh. No, that's stupid, though. Like, that's shock value. That's shock value dialogue. That's not being true to those characters' dialogue. And yeah, it is like a, an alternate post-apocalyptic thing, so maybe you can give it a little more leeway, but like, no. But no, but here's <laughs> the thing I'll say. And, and and it's kind of an in-between point because I, I, I maybe I don't know if I necessarily think the um, like like you just brought it up right you think it's a ter- you said the the take on the ter- characters within the dialogue is kind of it's bad and I think unfortunately that is just the general feeling towards both these characters in some regards Batman and Joker and how they decided to portray him because the reach around comment to me is very much in line with what Jared Leto Joker has been portrayed he's felt very weirdly sexual. I guess like there's a part in suicide squad where he like, like he, he's, he, he gets on Common's lap at one point And, and then he also does the same to another guy. And he says like, Oh, I know you mean that. And he starts rubbing his cheek. So he, he does have like a tendency to do we like th- that, that element of Leto's Joker has always existed. And I think I understand, I understand both your points where I think the Leto that is the Leto's, that is Leto's take on the character. Like apparently he came up with that line and apparently Zack Snyder. Yeah. Apparently that is him. (laughs) That is his line. Yeah. So he wrote, he, uh, yeah. Like Zack Snyder wrote the script. Apparently it's pretty much pretty, yeah, pretty like Jared. Yeah. And then (laughs) apparently the joke is that he said he wouldn't put it, he wouldn't put it in. And Zack Snyder was like, fucking watch, watch me, dude. Okay. Okay, I'll put it in. Watch me. I'll put it in. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, and so that's where it falls for me is where I'm like, look, I I think this was the best iteration of this character. I think this is the character what he was meant to be and what Jared Leto had had envisioned for him. I just think, unfortunately, I'm kind of with you, though, Leland, where it, I don't know if it worked for me. I, I would rather them just retcon it and say that's Jason Todd that got turned into joker by the actual joker yeah. same reason i want lex 100%. yeah i want lex luther to just be alexander jr and then fucking brian Cranston's is going to show up i'm the real fucking lex luther here like <laughs> i i'm yeah, right. totally okay with both those retcons uh so yeah yeah you know you do make a really good point about like that being leto's joker and i i got wrapped up in my own you know my my own like best joker version and i think you are you do make a really good point that it does it is actually in line with the the portrayal of this character in this instance but yeah like it, it just it i never like leto's joker so obviously i'm not gonna like anything he does it's already tainted for me but but you know what i'll give i'll give leto credit in the way he's not my favorite joker either in fact he you know i i like his joker probably well way more than you do leland but i mean my goodness it's still got to be less than the other like four main jokers if you consider like hamill if you consider you know ledger um arthur fleck you know joaquin phoenix and uh you know even throwing in there um you know jack nicholson um i'd still put you know i'd still put leto at the end of those but what i'll give to him is in a saturated joker world he's at least carved out his own niche which is this kind of really brutal crass 
violent Joker that, you know, you think would like shank bats and just stuff them in that rusted car if there was nobody else around. But just like, just do it. That's not unique to Joker. That's not a, you're not, okay. you're not you didn't just describe a unique take on the Joker. But the, but the you, other you Jokers, it. but the <laughs> other Jokers unique. either get someone else to do their dirty work or they just yap all the time, which is still good. But I just feel like Leto would just like, like actually just kill bats and get it over and done with compared to the others that just play around. But then they may as well have a different character. Mm-hmm. Well, I would, I, if, if we're, I would argue that for Lex Luthor definitely should have just been the fucking Riddler or whatever, whatever he was. Well, Lex Luthor, I mean, Leto's Joker is top tier compared to Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. Oh, That's you hate Eisenberg. I, I fucking hate Eisenberg. He's uh, the absolute worst. Seriously, the fucking worst. Yeah. So fucking bad. I think they tried to retcon him a little bit in this movie. I don't know if you guys noticed that little mm. subtle line where he's like, oh, like the my time in Arkham, like kind of like fix me a bit and you and yeah right, and he's right. kind of like you know playing it a little bit more subdued again i felt both takes i wasn't like convinced in any sort of way i i thought they were marginally better i was like these are closer to the characters i know in some ways um but i wasn't like oh well now now i i, I gotta see a jesse eisenberg lex Luthor fucking movie no <laughs> right 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 i mean i i will I mean, obviously, I agree with you, Moby. Like, yes, Leto, you got to do something. You have to vary it. You do have to do something that feels different or looks different. And I'm assuming that was a big uh, a, a big part of the look they went with, uh, you know, with the grills and the tats and all that shit. So, like, I, yeah, you're right, Moby. Like, he, he, he does need to do something, and he needs to find his own version of the character, absolutely. Just a matter of whether or not you like that version. And I don't happen to like that version. I um yeah I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan. You know I I, I was I was curious like anybody else to see it. But hey man I'm glad I'm glad him and it it kind of felt like um you know gratifying to see I guess both not only the you know Zack Snyder's vision but uh, Joker's or uh, Jared Leto's uh, vision of the character. Um, I just want to throw something out because because because. Um, just sorry, I keep I can't seem to drop the Jesse Eisenberg thing. But since we're talking about it, but I have a theory on Jesse Eisenberg casting. I've been thinking about it um, because like there there is like you always do find out about what like our quote like studio choices, right? And studios have like their studio people, right? I think I I'm convinced that Jesse Eisenberg could have been a studio choice because correct me if I'm wrong. I believe those uh, now you see me movies are warner brothers movies and once you kind of come and get into bed with a studio they kind of just like they want to just put you in shit like i know ben affleck for for example i just want to make sure that i'm of course saying it's it's warner brothers but like ben affleck for example ben affleck was actually a warner brothers choice and that was because as we know uh ben affleck has a long-standing relationship with uh uh with warner brothers so anyways, uh, my theory is, like, I think that was, I don't think that was a, um, I'm not even trying to defend Zack Snyder, I just think that was a, that was a studio decision. Because, like, fucking why, man? That's the only explanation I have. Yeah, but, like, my problem isn't the casting, it's just the way the character was written. I just don't understand what they were going for. I was trying to emulate Lex Luthor in any type of capacity, even, like, the smallest iota of making him reminiscent of the the comic character they just missed 
the mark entirely. I just don't know what they were doing. And, and this is where I start to agree with Mike, because they basically took... You got to remember, Jesse Eisenberg was a lot bigger 10 years ago, like with the social network, than he is now. Yeah. I mean, he barely pops up in anything big now. And I feel like, you know, the problem was he was such an it actor for a short time. They basically brought him in and just didn't even direct him. They're like, just be Jesse Eisenberg, which is that really, like, manic, you know, Grandma said the secret to life is Kentucky Mash. And it's like, you know, just chirping off like that. But you're right. Like, even me as a casual fan, I've seen cartoons. I've seen Lex Luthor. He's he's nothing like this guy. And, you know, he's almost like, Jesse Eisenberg is almost like this relic that even though he doesn't show up much in this movie, I think there's like two scenes. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, I, I um, I'm not sure. By the way, I, I should correct myself. Apparently, I'm wrong. It's a Lionsgate film. Uh, my bad. But I, I I'll, I'll still, I'll still go with the theory though. I'll still put my bags in that basket and say that Jesse Eisenberg was yeah. a, a student because yeah, I just, I just don't see how that performance exists beyond them just saying like, just get him to fucking do the social me, uh, the Mark Zuckerberg thing. Yeah. And, and, and then like i don't know he probably like kind of and then it was also given part like leeway like apparently he he based it off of um uh max landis that's who the eisenbergs uh lex luther do you guys know who max landis is mm, can't say that my name's familiar. Mm. he's he's john landis's son he's like a he he was like uh a screenwriter he did i think he wrote chronicle um that was one of his movies he wrote um okay uh he wrote dirk gently he did that show anyways he's just a weird quirky character but point being like i i yeah that character doesn't work and i'm kind of with you and i'm with you leland when you just say like if if it's not the character just make it a new character make him someone else like i i understand the idea that but people say like well maybe we can uh canon comics books change like why can't we do that with movies but i i understand people's expectations that they there's certain things that they like about a character and that you sort of want to you want to see that interpretation play out. There's no reason to fix what already works. Yeah, I, just, I don't get I don't really understand that mentality. Like it's really how hard is it to make an original character that would serve in the same place as Lex as far as an antagonist for soups, but it just not being like they can do whatever the hell you want with it. And maybe people will be like, well, why wasn't this Lex Luthor? I mean, I know now we're we're we're. Gle- turning to talking about bvs now uh more than the actual Snyder cut but like i've said and will continue to say that every behind the scenes action that eisenberg's luther did in bvs was incredibly lex lutherish uh lex lutherish right uh the all the manipulations and the outsmarting and outthinking that's lex luther like he Every every time he was off screen doing something, he was being Lex Luthor. But it was as soon as you saw Eisenberg on screen, just his mannerisms, it just it wasn't Luthor. And then it's like, if, to me, there was such a disconnect between what he did and what he set up as far as pitting bats against Superman. Uh, I don't know. It just it didn't work for me. I do not mind though the idea of that serving a bit as an origin for the actual Lex, like Lex Luthor. Like you said, like you mentioned, Mike, in the, in the, the one of the many post credit scenes in Snyder cut, like you did, you totally see the, like, Oh, he's, this is like a reformed, like he snapped, but now he's put back together differently. But the problem is of course you, you never saw the physical portrayal of any 
types of those aspects in Eisenberg before he, you know, went to Arkham and, <laughs> and, 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 and had his uh, run in with Steppenwolf via the mother or the, the ship or whatever. Right. And obviously that, that you can say maybe that played a large part in him being so nuts because like he couldn't handle this input of info from the ship and blah, blah, blah. You can make a, as many excuses as you want for the character that, you know, you could come up with a myriad of them, but I don't mind the idea of it. Like it kind of serving as almost his origin for him, but it's just like, it just feels it's different. And maybe it's just like the fanboy again, griping because it's different, which is not always a, a a valid gripe or criticism just because it's different doesn't automatically make it bad i might be being a little close-minded <laughs> about these iterations of characters but i don't know they just don't work for me but so. i don't think you are people are willing to accept things that are different as long as they're good like we watch like 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 that's the thing like even even heath ledger's joker right like as much as we, we kind of feel like 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 that there's a lot of differences on on how that character is is portrayed that actually like as much as people think it's very much like the comic book a lot of ways are it's not like we've kind of almost accepted the more anarchist um you know uh, joker that sort of present in the comic books but like both bane and and um and um joker for example those like uh, in both those movies and and razzle ghoul here's the thing those characters are very much different from the comics, but none of us doubt that those are Razzle Ghoul, Bane, and Joker. None of us are like, those are not those characters. Right. Despite, like, Bane not being juiced with Venom, despite having a crazy-ass accent, I-, I-, I think in a lot of ways, like, the-, the essence of those characters is maintained. And and sometimes you get things like Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, where it doesn't really feel like the, the-, the character has been maintained at all. Right, the fra- the framework of the OG characters and the source material is not being built upon. It's just being abolished Mm -hmm. and replaced with whatever they think suits the tone or themes of their film. And I think that's very easy to be disconnected from a character like that, especially if you're very familiar with the source material and are drawn to these movies because of the source material, you're going to be disappointed. Like it's inevitable. You're going to be disappointed. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, Big topic. Uh, we've had a lot of discussion on it. I personally am exhausted for thoughts on it. Um, but Leland, Mike, if you have any final thoughts on the films? I mean, we could certainly get into criticizing specific scenes in the Snyder Cut. Like, <laughs> we'll be I mean, here to all what night. End? <laughs> well, exactly. I will say, though, because it, it kind of ties into like the heart, the, the actual like heart and emotion in the Snyder Cut. It really, really pisses me off that the martha kent and lois lane interaction was not martha kent it was fucking martian manhunter that's dumb yes i don't i don't why i 100 percent agree i think i think we probably line are in line with like uh in, in, in similar opinions uh on this movie just in general leland where and, and, and correct me if i'm wrong but generally how i feel is like i like the movie i like the movie all the way through i feel like it I uh, was paced very well. I, I wasn't bored. Like, I watched it in one setting. Um, the Martian Manhunter reveal was fucking bullshit. I literally fast-forwarded it. Like, <laughs> just, sometimes I just fast-forward the entire scene. Like, I, I, I actually, like, long story, but my mom was really interested in seeing the Snyder Cut because she heard about Zack Snyder on Twitter and asked me about it. And she's like, well, I want to see that movie. I was like, Mom, it's a four-hour superhero movie. You really want to watch it? 
And I was like, she's like, no, I want to watch it. It's like, okay, well, we, we can watch in parts, I guess, which I, I think is, is a totally valid um, thing. But when I watched it with them, anyways, I fast forwarded that scene. And they're like, why are you fast forwarding? I was like, because it's bullshit. And, it, and as far as my head canon goes, it never happened. She never became. It doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. <laughs> because again, talking about like the emotional um, scenes in that movie, that is like a really good scene. Like the, the, the yeah, and the problem, really yeah. Scene. And the problem is that Martha says so many personal like things that I just I I, I, I can't even really justify it as it as being Martian Manhunter. And that was actually a thing that I'd seen um, before Snyder came. Uh, the movie was announced when Snyder would like occasionally reveal things, and that was the one thing that always stuck out to me. I was like, I don't. That sounds stupid. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. And then, um, and then I was, you know, going into the movie being like, well, hopefully this scene's probably going to happen. And I hope I'm just convinced. Like, I hope I watch it and my mind has changed. Nope, did not change. Like, bullshit shouldn't have happened. And then, yeah, again, the, the, all the after, after credit scene, okay, didn't need it. Kind of wish it was like pushed to, I say after credits, it should have been after credits. That's where it should have been. Like, all those like four or five scenes in a row, like, it feels... It, it the movie starts to feel its length even though it is technically the epilogue so you can kind of ignore it but just for presentation wise i just wish those things were pushed up between the credits or something yep i agree i agree but yeah oh yeah just one last thought yeah I, I, anyways really like the movie if you uh, are intimidated by the four hour length uh just watch it in its six parts you can do that and i actually think that is a perfectly fine way to watch the watch it because it does uh surprisingly i think actually it's it's um bookends work well i think leland you you maybe they didn't work so well for you but i actually kind of like for example like i remember with, with like cyborg right when they're about to go into the step like like a couple good like um uh, segues for me were, were when uh right when they're gonna resurrect superman boom the part ends or right when they, yeah. they say like let's go get the son of a bitch and they're gonna go after seven wolf boom like it kind of sometimes they, they did a pretty good job of felt like getting you hyped up for the next moment so i i think it's a, i i actually sometimes wish they could have released this as a tv show i think maybe they would have got a little bit more eyes on it because i think the four hour length is intimidating but i always try to tell people like just fucking watch it and watch it in parts and honestly you get two parts and you don't like it just turn it off Good yeah. point. I, I I really do like that it was it had its own little chapter breaks too. Like it, it was a really smart decision, and I do think it does make it more consumable. Because yeah, I never felt like those chapter ended in a in a in, in like in media res, right? Like it's like why is this? Why is there a break here? Even if it's a title card, why is there why is there a break? Here? Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I think it's a very easy way to to digest that film. Awesome. Well, listener, I think you're primed. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I I've definitely would watch it if you're a fan at all of the dceu i would definitely watch Snyder cut 100 percent. uh yeah i i i think if you again if you're also not a snyder fan or not a fan of the dc movies i would still give this a try i was not a snyder fan do not like bbs um i've heard people say that this is for snyder fans and snyder fans only and i disagree i think it's i think it's his most consumable and crowd-pleasing movie yet well maybe not consumable because it's so goddamn long but definitely crowd-pleasing i think yeah, I agree. Uh, final segment. Another one of our patent-pending hybrid segments. Moby, you've titled it The Controversy Cacophony. <laughs> Where, I mean, as alluded to earlier, we're going to be talking about some general controversies that each of us may have found interesting in, you know, our respective topics that we like to speak about here on the T-Hud podcast. So why don't I start with the ScarJo thing? Because we kind of teased yes. it. So mm. I'll lead in with this. So basically, Scarlett Johansson... Uh, filed a lawsuit earlier this month, I believe, or in July, sorry, in July, 
um, against Disney for breach and contract for Black Widow. Uh, claims that uh, well, this the, apparently the allegedly the original contract uh, included a clause about an exclusive theatrical release, whereas Disney uh, decided that Black Widow would be one of their five. I think there were announced movies that they put on their Disney Plus premiere. Which, if you have a Disney Plus account, you just pay an extra twenty nine ninety nine USD and you get to watch it early, as if you know same time as it being released in theaters. I think even with the premiere, like if you pay for it, it's basically added to your library of Disney Plus, so you can just watch it over and over as many times as you want. Eventually, though, those premiere accesses do just get put out onto Disney Plus, so it seems kind of stupid. But uh, so ScarJo apparently had uh, a bit of a back end deal in addition to the twenty million that she earned. Um, <laughs> like I said, I said there, not much has been going on, but basically Disney has come back with a response saying. Uh, they think that this lawsuit is very sad and depressing and called Scarlett Johansson out for like not having uh, any type of empathy or sympathy for, you know, the the coronavirus situation and kind of dragging her through the mud a little bit, trying to make her look like a bad guy more than she is. And that's when they kind of were like, well, actually, um, actually, us putting it in the premiere gave her more of an opportunity to make uh, money on the back end in addition to her 20 million. So like Disney themselves kind of came out with how much she actually made on the, on the movie again, to try to, you know, shine the light in the direction they want to, wanted to shine it. So I think to date worldwide, the movie has earned about 220 million. Uh, oh, that was in this first week of the box office. I'm not sure what, you know, to date it's made, but in a, in a pandemic era, that's like setting records. And, I mean, if it's part of her contract, like, how does this lawsuit not have grounds? I uh, I find it really uh, kind of comical that Disney is really trying their best to make uh, Scarlett Johansson sound like the bad guy in this situation. Like, we're really going to side with the billion-dollar corporation. And look, I understand, you know, we can look at these people and be like, oh, man, they have so much money. We can look at ScarJo and be like, ScarJo, let it go. You have enough money. You made this much money. But, you know, she just wants what's owed to her. And, like, fuck Disney if they think they can just keep that money. Like, and, and what I find very bizarre, by the way, is that we saw Warner Brothers also have the same you know make the same fuck up and warner brothers at least from what we know settled everything with their talent behind the scenes and and that was a really bad call on their part um and apparently you would think that dizzy somehow would learn from that but guess not yeah well from the sounds of it now this is this is the first that i've heard of it you two know much more about it than i do but from the sounds of it is basically disney is saying yeah we breached the contract but you know, be happy, ScarJo, and think of think of the children. Think of the children at home, you know, that that <laughs> can't go to theaters to watch this. And I think ScarJo has a right to say, you know, delay this until theaters are open again. Many of them are. But, um, I mean, like Leland said, if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. You can't just say, like, well, you should appreciate this more. Because, like... What if someone uses your likeness and your work to to profit from it in a different way than you agreed upon? In my opinion, that's just cut and dry wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, I just, I don't, if it's like, if it's in writing as pretty clear and cut as, you know, Johansson's uh, lawyers are saying it is, I don't see, like, what's Disney going to do? And, and uh, I have here 
I saw an article saying that on the premiere alone, Black Widow pulled in about sixty million. So I don't know what the details are as far as her like her percentage of the back end that she's getting or whatever. But like that type of deal is not uncommon, right? In in the film industry. And I was kind of wondering both your thoughts on that because I was looking into I found a pretty good article about how kind of give a, a a bit of a historical overview of how like actors and actresses salaries kind of come about and like it's like this quote system right depending on the the fame I guess for lack of a better word of the of the actor and, and it's generally also the the studio that you are basically putting your quote out for like if you if you say I'm going to do this for 15 mil a studio can you know has full access to go to the previous studios that you've worked for and see what you got paid there and based you know what their their agreement on that and that's part of the d- negotiation or whatever your agent would do for you but if that quote hits hits you know hits the top and, and you that's a, as much as they're going to get that's where part of these back end incentives come where they can pad onto the salary without adding to the overall budget of the film um, same as like you know what would you would just call perks and sometimes non-monetary perks as far as like you know uh, access to private jets or no contractual obligation to come for reshoots or whatever. I don't know. How do how do each of you kind of feel about that back end kind of dealing stuff as far as films go? Start with Moby. Okay. Um yeah, I uh I don't mind it um for an actor that is, you know, truly A list. I think that they do have clout and can boost ticket sales by tens of millions of dollars. Uh, legitimately, like, I mean, I think of The Rock, I think of Robert Downey Jr. Um, during his hottest time, I mean, there's tons of actors you could list. And, you know, these riders, as I think the official term is, seem kind of small to me, for the most part. Like you said, the private jet, I mean, that's like the rich and famous that, you know, we would never live if it weren't for our overflowing Patreon account. But, um... <laughs> You know, <laughs> most mortals don't don't get that, you know, but I think that they bring the value in. Now, my concern is, is that is Scarlett Johansson that big of a draw to be able to demand something like this? And so to answer your question, I'm I'm on the fence on that. But I mean, I just go back to the fact that if that's in the contract and they signed it with good in good faith with Disney, then it's there. Do I think she necessarily deserved such a rider probably not mike what are your thoughts i'll be honest i don't have like a, a super strong um, opinion on it only because like so the first i sort of heard about it happening with was robert downey jr uh and i'd heard that he had yeah. negotiated a back-end deal for the avengers and how that almost was like controversial with the rest of the cast because no one thought to do that and uh he made he had quite the payday on it and um so on one hand you know it's 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 great to see talent get paid i mean for me, the way I see it is it's it's studios like, you know, you know, just trying to, I, I don't know, almost like, I, I feel like the studio has more to gain from offering that than the, uh, than necessarily the actors do from taking it. And maybe not necessarily, like, I guess if you have a back end deal on a Marvel movie, you're kind of guaranteed, you kind of have a bit of a guarantee there. But I mean, I guess I have no problem with that being offered um it's a definitely a risk reward thing but as far as scarlett johansson getting one i mean isn't scarlett johansson a movie star because to me she's almost sort of that um like a little bit like a charlie's theron sort of that can do dramatic roles 
you could throw her in a in an action movie like she had like ghost of the shell um she had a couple other ones like i i i mean i guess what i feel is that scarlett johansson is no stranger to being the star of a movie and whether she really brings in money and to me is debatable like to me i'm not even convinced honestly the rock brings in that much money as, as people seem to think he does like i've heard people talking about rock a box office gold of that the rock is but i know jungle Cruise is failing i know um skyscraper did not do that well i'm not convinced that 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 um by the argument that that fucking you put the rock in something and that I think he's a fine supporting actor, and I think he can boost your, you know, boost your action movie a little bit. But I don't think The Rock is a leading man. He's a person I don't think would deserve that back end deal. But I mean, but I guess I guess with his movie, you're kind of getting The Rock movies, so he's involved in all parts of the production on those. But yeah, I, I am. You know, I was going to bring up Jungle Cruise too because that's the last one that was slated to be have a, a premier access, at least as far as Disney has has spoken about. Anyways, so I'm one. I wonder what types of deal uh Dwayne Johnson and uh, Emily uh Blunt uh got for that as well cuz i mean i think Emily i would put Blunt on the level of Johansson yeah i was going to say like Emily Blunt you could put him with the Johan- uh, the Johansson and and um and um Emily uh who's the other person i mentioned Charlie Theron i think yeah yeah well in the Dwayne Johnson is an excellent businessman i mean he may be a better businessman and like promoter of his brand than he is an actor. And I think he's a pretty good actor. Mm. Like, he's a very smart cookie. And so, yeah, I think if someone had a back end um, into that film, he would. I, I wonder if some creative back end's going to come out where maybe because it's released on, you know, Disney Plus, he gets a bigger cut of what the what Disney Plus gets. That'd be smart. I think specifically cited in the suit for Scarlett Johansson is... Uh, specifically a back end on the like the box office so that 60 million that disney made off of premiere is disney 60 million so even if they honor you know uh, i guess a resolution i don't even know what a resolution would be i i saw um somewhere online that allegedly scarjo was saying that she was shorted like 50 upwards of 50 million dollars because they put Black Widow on Premiere, which I... How the fuck do you calculate that? How can you even calculate what you think Black Widow is going to make in the box office releasing it in the time that it, it was released in the theaters? How can... How? Like, you're guessing. You're throwing a dart in the dark at the best of times right now as far as the industry goes and, and, and theatrical uh, sales. But I don't know. If it's in if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. Like, pay up, Disney. And, and to to be specific... This was a Disney decision, not a Marvel Studios decision. Obviously, Marvel being a subsidiary of, of Disney. And I saw that uh, Kevin Feige was on record of saying, this is a bad idea. The actors are not going to like it. <laughs> so, like, you know, a loose quote. But <laughs> So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's good that uh, Disney is being taken to task regardless of what, you know, your thoughts of Scar- Scarlett Johansson as a person may or not be. I mean, she's had her own controversy in the past too, right? Um, being Appearing to be very self-serving in a lot of areas. I don't know. She, I think she's well within her rights to file this suit, though. Like, if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. I don't know how many times you can say that. Well, they did actually, uh, with Gal, uh, Gal Gadot, uh, they had a similar situation with Wonder Woman when they did the, uh, putting Wonder Woman on HBO, uh, HBO Max. 
But apparently they did somehow come to, and I agree with you, like I don't even know how you calculate, they don't even really seem to have a grasp on how streaming numbers work and how, um, you know, how profits work towards that. But apparently they did come to an agreement with Gal Gadot on something that she felt was fair, uh, that was adequate towards what she would have gotten in the back end. So, I, I, yeah, I, it's like, how do you come up with that? But at the same time, fucking Disney has more than enough money to, to, to give her, to, to make her happy. And, you know, it just goes to, to show the, you know, their, their loyalty with their employees a little bit, right? And then again, we're, we see, we've seen this with all our, our, our studio, uh, talking with Zack Snyder. Like, Zack Snyder made a lot of movies for Warner Brothers, but they had no problem kind of cutting them loose. And, you know, Scarlett Johansson, same thing. Lots of Disney movies, um, that she's done for them. And, you know, they didn't really seem to have any love loss of just saying, fuck it, we'll keep the money. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, I wonder if like they, I wonder how obviously the decisions to, to, for the use of premier access came way later. I mean, I don't, who knows how long Black Widow's even been wrapped for. I assume it was shelved for a number of months due to uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, a Black Widow movie's been talked about for fucking years, right? So I wonder if like this the the decisions for the premiere is like a way for them to prop up to prop up Disney Plus and make it a worth make it seem like a worthwhile avenue to continue pursuing especially when they've already committed to so much Disney Plus specific content with Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Disney Plus can't fail for them. It just can't. They have too much invested into it already. Uh, I don't know how easy it would be to pull the plug on on all the shows they have slated. I, I don't know, but they would have uh, assumedly take a hit on the resources they've already diverted to it. So they kind of, they kind of have to make it work. But I do wonder just how successful Disney plus is, especially compared to other streaming services. But like you mentioned, Mike, like who the fuck knows how even the streaming service clients themselves measure success or profitability. Like Netflix has never given numbers on what, what their originals do uh, as far as viewership goes. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how you, I guess Disney looks at it looks at a, an asset and says, "Well, we're spending less than it's generating, so it's a win." <laughs> like it's pretty basic, it seems. Mm-hmm. You brought up a good point with uh, the whole uh, Emily Blunt and uh, the Rock um, business, because I wonder if that. And then I've also even heard that Emma Stone might be uh, considering her own lawsuit because that Cruella was also dropped uh, there. Yeah, I wonder if um, if the Rock doesn't get his money, if he's going to go uh, rock bottom, uh, Bob Iger through a table in his office or something like that, <laughs> just fucking <laughs> bang down the door. Uh, that'd be great. Well, hey, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll get enough uh, enough actors together to to make. Um, what are the lawsuits where it's just a bunch of people? What are those ones called? It's like a class large action. Group of people. Class action. Yeah, yeah. They just get a class action with like five actors. It's just a class action, yeah. action suit for like three hundred. The Avengers versus Disney. <laughs> oh, no. Official class action. That'd be great, oh, man. Well, that that's a good topic, guys. But we got like about six of these to rock through. So um, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Mike. What's your uh, first uh, topic for this segment? Um, so uh, have you guys ever seen the YouTube channel uh, Internet Historian? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, great channel. So he does a, at least a couple times. Yeah, so he does a great breakdown of this story better than I ever could. Um, but of course, we all know um, uh, No Man's Sky. Um, we, we, I assume we're all familiar with it. And the cool thing about No Man's Sky, it's not a game. Um, I I actually own it, and I um, played the VR. I got it from my VR, which is kind of interesting. Um, 
but uh, No Man's Sky was an interesting um, has some interesting controversy because you know no you know it's not the first time a game has overpromised, underdelivered, and totally botched the release. Right? We saw that with uh, Cyberpunk. But the the difference between what happened with uh, those games and No Man's Sky is No Man's Sky is is argued to be like an actual great game, and and some would even say as good as what they promised, and in some ways they've made improvements that people didn't know that they wanted and it all started because and and so the guy that developed it his name is sean i can't remember his last name but um understandably he was a a developer and i think the team that worked on uh those games they made some games called joe danger and there's maybe like only like 20 people that worked it's a very small studio so I think I just, when it comes down to, I just think, unfortunately, this guy, and not that he doesn't deserve a little bit of flack for this, but I think he was a little bit out of his depth when it came to having to market a game as a guy that's used to being in behind a computer and not used to being on camera and going at, at big E3 conferences for people. And I think he just put his foot in his mouth way too many times. And I think like, so I work in at a tech company in development a little bit. And one thing I'm guilty of is underestimating how things take. And, and I'm slowly trying to understand about the problem is sometimes when you're building um, things on top of each other, sometimes things go wrong and you have to remove things. And I think that was working that you had that you could say to people, hey, yeah, we have this in the game by the end all of a sudden you just realize you had to remove it because you put something else that you needed and it, it was conflicting or whatever happened or your game couldn't run and so i think just think there was a lot of moments like that that by the time the people got the game it wasn't the game that they were promised and understandably people were upset sony was giving them refunds um but instead of you know cutting their losses and trying to make a sequel which we see a lot of the, these games do um the developer this guy sean um he sort of had this algorithm that would take uh he would say you know this is what he did he got everybody um uh that were getting hate tweets and hate mail to get them all sent um towards him and he took all that and he sifted through um had an algorithm that could sift through everything and he took primarily like the number one concerns people had just as far as bugs bugs went Check those off the list first. It was the first thing he did. And then he worked his way to the second primary ones. And then he went through the features that people were most requesting. Knocked those off the list. And basically within the two, two like the whatever two year span and just working by himself in a studio of 20 people, it was mainly him for the first little bit. They, they weren't getting paid extra money. All the updates they've released so far, all the download con- content, as far as I'm concerned, is all free. It's just a good story as far as most of the time, like as, as far as even what we've seen with Fallout 76, like that game is still broken. Cyberpunk is still broken. And, and most of those games, you, you know that they're not going to really try to fix. But this is the one time where a guy said, you know what, that's on me. I'm going to make it right. And he kind of fucking did. And I've played No Man's Sky. It's not really a game for me, but I, I, I tried it on my VR and it's it's a perfectly quality game for what I imagine that people want. It's pretty fucking awesome that you can get into a ship and fly out the atmosphere. Uh, like that, I don't know if you guys remember way back that leaked like Battlefront 2 trailer that we got from way back. They, they advertised that you could go up to space and go into the atmosphere and do uh, ship battles. You can do that in No Man's Sky and travel between planets. Like, it's it's absolutely wild. Anyways, but my point being is that a game that Rocky Start, Rocky Release, turned it around. Controversial, but good story. Good ending. Yeah, I mean, 
my thoughts on that is, first of all, I applaud Sean there because he's doing what so many companies are not. So many companies either cut their losses or I find even more so just drag their feet on forever, not canceling any of their promises because they don't want to lose face. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, Star Citizen comes to mind on that. I mean, they're never going to be able, I don't think, to implement all the stuff they promised as the millions of dollars rolled in and Chris Roberts just said, oh, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this without actually thinking about what doing that would mean. Mm. And and I look at even, this, this goes into a whole other topic there, but so many promising games hit early access like on Steam and those developers get flooded with money and they just don't really finish the game. They don't do anything. They've already earned their buck. And so here's a guy that for free, you know, released all these updates and actually fixed his shit. I respect that much in the way that I respect Eric Barone, who made Stardew Valley, which really didn't have any controversies with it. But he made his millions and he spent five years offering free updates for the game. Like, that is good. That's the kind of developer I want to uh, uh, support. So... Maybe, Mike, the hidden controversy in this is the contrast between what Sean did with No Man's Sky and what so many other developers are doing that's bullshit. Yeah, uh, it's a small tangent for another day, but I, I'm in the, of the mind that way too many games get released in unfinished states. Like, it's just, yeah. it's uh, it's it's way too uh, commonplace. And uh, by the way, Sean Murray is his, is his name. Uh, good on good on Sean Murray. Um, I, he, had, he had an interview, he said, like, um, when he was speaking at E3 that, you know, that, that was the most, he's like, he's like, I would have nightmares about doing this. And so, um, you know, put his foot in his mouth, but at least he made it right. That's awesome. Leland, any comment on this one? Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll go with my first, um, which is also video game related, you know, and it's interesting because Leland actually owned this game, but I don't think he ever played it, which is. I am fascinated by how the Silent Hill HD collection exists. I love Silent Hill. We've discussed survival horror here so many times. But, I mean, if you don't know the, the story precisely, um, there's, some, there's uh, some good links to some YouTube shows on it uh, that I'm going to give Leland for the show notes. But, basically, Konami, you know, hires this little-known company you know, called, uh, was it Hijink Studios? I keep wanting to say Helix, Hijink Studios, to make a high-definition, upgraded version of Silent Hill 2 and 3. Part of the problem, because it's supposed to be the HD collection, it's only two of, like, the five main series games that were out at that point. But Konami's lost the source code. They never archived the source code. So they give these guys like broken versions of both games to the point that they not only have to solve new problems, you know, remaking them into HD, but they actually have to go back and solve a bunch of problems the original developers at Konami did, <laughs> but those problems were fixed in the source code, which they've lost. And it's this just ridiculous situation. Hijinx signed the contract. They didn't know this was going to be the situation. One of their producers, like, who's active on social media, got uh, a certain amount of, like, hate mail and death threats, which seems to be a thing. You know, and the question is, 
you know, the, the final product is disappointing for various reasons, but, you know, do you give, this is where the controversy is, do you give that studio some credit just for getting a semi-non-buggy build of these two games out there after how they were handcuffed so much? Like, I have an amount of respect for Hijink Studios for this. I think the thing about these gaming controversies, though, I feel like so many times, though, it is just the the developer being handcuffed by the publisher, right? Like, even, um, you might not be as familiar with this, but they had the, uh, I did hear about, they had they, they had to stop making those um those 2k wrestling games or whatever they were called um because the developer like they got pissed off they left halfway through development and they didn't even i i think even the old developer wasn't cooperative and then they had to bring in this new developer but they were like yearly sports games so they still had still had this release and yeah they got to get um, a product out but it was a pretty rough product so i i don't know silent hill but like it is it buggy or does it is it at least playable it's just kind of bare bones like what how does that kind of fit in i guess well there's an okay so there's a number of mini controversies that go into this and, and this is perhaps an unfair topic for the podcast because what i'm really after is i've seen a couple good youtube documentaries that i want listener to hopefully click on in the show notes and go see because I think it's a fascinating story. It's like I could have done Fallout 76, but you really want to watch some documentaries on that to really get It's yeah. Like you the can't scope is so big. You, you yeah. can't explain so Todd. Todd Howard has to be experienced <laughs> on video. I gotta give another Sam. shout to Internet Historian again because that if you yeah, Internet Historian's Fallout 76 breakdown, like with the canvas bags and like the bottles. Oh, yeah. oh. Nuka-Cola bottles. Amazing. Me, Amazing. Man. Yeah, the the poison helmets, <laughs> so all time bad. classic. Yeah, look up the internet historian. I I've looked up a bunch of his stuff. I looked up on YouTube right now, and yeah, I've seen a bunch of his stuff. Just just not a ton yeah. recently. So some of the problems with Silent Hill. Okay, so to throw wrenches into things, so there's a guy named Guy Sheree. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was the voice actor for James Sunderland in Silent Hill Two, probably the most famous Silent Hill. And probably one of the most famous Silent Hill characters. And he didn't want his voice acting used because he wanted residuals. He said that Konami owed him residuals from the original game. But all the other actors went after him saying in Japanese culture, there's no such thing as residuals for voice actors. You just do your voice acting and you're paid your fee and you're done. So what he basically did is he he made them get all new voice actors who had to work really hard to lip sync. And then at the very end of the line, this guy, Cherie, uh, came to an agreement with High Jinx. And so now you have a choice between the old voices yes. or the new voices. <laughs> and it's such a waste of time and money. Yeah. And another BS thing was, so the game is lacking in fog. Now, the fog originally in Silent Hill is, you know, draw distance. It was because it's weaker consoles. You can only have a certain amount of stuff on screen at one time. But the fog also became iconic of Silent Hill 2. It wasn't just, not meaning Silent Hill 2 the game, meaning the whole series. So this game is lacking in fog because they didn't have the source code to properly animate the fog. Plus you're working with newer consoles that don't need the fog. And so that became a big deal is did that actually ruin the immersive experience? So all this stuff goes into it. Were they able to create a passable product mike 
yes, it appears so. I, I would like to play it, but I don't have the console for it. But it's also kind of bare bones in the way that it didn't have any other bonus features. And it's kind of a lot of the same arguments as I looked into this are the arguments that have been made for the Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which I own for Switch, which is they basically gave you bare bones emulation of um, you know Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine and I think Mario Galaxy 1. And, but they gave you basically no other bonuses. And this was like to celebrate Mario's like, I don't know, 40th anniversary or something or 35th anniversary. And it's like, why are studios being so stingy? Why can't they hold on to their source code? Why are these, like you said, Mike, why are these producers hamstringing the developers so much? Yeah, maybe. I mean, that, that in that era in which it was released, it was like, that was one of PS3's biggest things it had going. It was putting together HD remastered collections. I mean, they did it for Sly Cooper. There was two different God of War collections. The silent like they had them coming out the fucking yin yang, because they because the PS3 sucked as a console. I don't know what they had nothing else going for them. So they had to rely back on Sony's catalog and fucking put it back out for from the previous generation. That's like literally all I had. So I I am I'm sure that had some factor too is they just wanted it out as quickly as possible. But, man, that's nuts. Just nuts. And I played a little bit of that collection, a little bit of 2 and a little bit of 3, having not played the originals in their, those games in their original formats. I couldn't tell you. Couldn't give a, a, an accurate comparison. But, yikes. Um, my second one is more Activision Blizzard stuff. Uh, not the sexual harassment stuff, but actually, in particular, to, to do with Call of Duty Warzone and microtransactions back in june there was a reddit user uh, that had kind of posted like this anecdotal evidence of in-game purchases purchases which in this multiplayer game is supposed to only be cosmetic you know skins for your guns skins for your your character well on a tangent on that one there are very clearly in that game uh, specific skins in which you can purchase that do uh, make your character more difficult to see, uh, which they've tried to fix recently, but not really. So there's a number of them. Like if it's a black or dark skin skin, it gives you an advantage because it's harder to see. So first of all, that's already out the fucking window with their design of some of these skins. Like it's so stupid. But this Reddit user had uh, generally had a KD ratio of like 0.75 or whatever, which is pretty good. That's actually what mine sits at. And he was getting put into, for the matchmaking making for the lobbies, he was getting put into, like, gold and diamond lobbies, mm. which is obviously, they have this this tiered system, which I don't even really know where you find that tiered system, because it's not, like, one, Activision doesn't, like, flash the way they mac, match make out to, to their consumers at all. So, but he made an in-game purchase, and... In about 35 matches, he had seen a, a little over half of them had he was put into uh, silver and even some bronze level lobbies. And again, it's all anecdotal. This was in June, I think. Did I say that? This was in June. So there's obviously lots of that goes into matchmaking as far as like your 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 skill and your ping and the region you're in and all this shit, right? And again, it's unclear exactly what they implement in Warzone as far as like skill-based matchmaking, how heavily it's dictated on your skill. Like 
Because Activision doesn't tell you that information. They don't give a shit whether or not you know that information. All they want you to do is play their free game, because Warzone is a free download, and buy in-game purchases for their microtransactions. I mean, Activision had made, uh, in November of 2020, they had reported in the previous quarter, they had pulled in $1.2 billion in microtransactions. So obviously, that's like that's their business. That's the games, the types of games they make. Microtransactions are their fucking business. And again, if like if they're cosmetics, cool. If you want to buy a cool skin, I don't see why the fuck not. As uh, you know, as aside from supporting a company that has a an atmosphere as as Activision does, but I don't know. It's really interesting. Like just putting you in lobbies with less skilled players, see you better players in the skins, thinking buying the skins would make them a better player. Is the mentality that it seems that you're trying to trying to go for. I don't know. Apparently, there's legions of people on the internet that are monitoring and seeing if this is actual true. But I just thought it was pretty funny, pretty funny anecdotal evidence at at at, at best. I'm not surprised that Activision is doing some shady shit like that. Like that totally oh, yeah. tracks. Uh, it's funny when you mentioned a, co- uh, a controversy with Modern Warfare. I thought you were going to mention uh, the Zampala and West lawsuit over Modern uh, Warfare when Modern Warfare Two. Another kind of similar controversy to yours about mm-hmm. uh, missed wages. So yes, uh, Activision is not without controversy within their Modern Warfare series, it appears. Yeah, there's a, a myriad of, even Warzone specifically, there's a myriad of other things we can talk about of what's going wrong with that game. But Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, amazing, it's amazing that it has the base, the player base that it does and continues to have the player base because uh, like Warzone streamers on Twitch like are huge. And there's there's like seems like there's a Warzone tournament like daily that people are entering and streaming and and getting publicity for Activision on. It's just it's nuts. It's like to the point where some of these Warzone streamers will publicly be like, "Man, I wish my viewers didn't love watching Warzone because I want to fucking play something else. I don't want to <laughs> play this game anymore." But it's my viewership. It's their viewer base, and they're getting tens of thousands of viewers on Twitch. Like they got to cater to their audience that they've built. You know, it reminds me of that story of my brother, um, Leland, you probably remember the story, like how he would have friends watching him on Twitch opening loot crates for like CSGO. And, you know, when he got this hundred dollar knife skin, like everybody was so happy and he was over the moon. And I'm like, dude, like, you know, like what you want, video games, it's all cool. We're all into that. But I'm like, For you as like a 33-year-old man to be like celebrating over a knife skin, like it's the best thing that happened to you for Christmas, because I think it literally was (laughs) around Christmas. I'm like, what does that say about microtransactions? You know, loot crate, loot crate, loot crate. Yay, a skin. It does show that it's gambling. If I would challenge anybody who thinks those loot crates are not gambling. Sure. I Um, I will say, though, a microtransaction is not necessarily a loot crate so no that's that there is a distinction right just but yes loot crates oh yeah how the fuck is it not gambling you're paying money for a randomized event right that's that's it that's the loosest definition you need it doesn't make any sense that's that's my second all right mike what else do you got i might be cheating a little bit with this uh project because i'm going to touch on a few different things but um, I'm going to just start with generally a little bit. Uh, and that's Disney's handling of the Star Wars films. And um, the things that immediately come to mind. 
was it's I feel like the impetus sort of started out with uh, Gareth Edwards and what we sort of heard about Rogue One and that we know that uh, Tony, I think it was Tony Gilroy came in and rewrote the third act and shot most of the third act. And then that, that's a weird movie because it's like it kind of has a weird like it's all, it, it is sort of a chopped up re uh, jiggered movie, but. You know, I, it didn't really seem to bother anyone. And, but that was sort of the first time that maybe we heard a little bit of rumblings of how Disney tends to treat their talent in regards to Star Wars. And then, um, and I'm going to get... I will say, Drew, for the record, yeah. Rogue One bothered me. That movie sucks. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. Oh, fair enough. I, I don't think it's that good of a movie, too. Complete, and I think if you... Complete do, trash. Well, I think if... I, I, I thought it was well-received, but I will definitely agree. And I think if you... I think it was. I think, I think, I think if you watch it, too, like... I think you can see where it is chopped up. It does feel weirdly like. Well, all you have to do is is look at the original trailer for that movie because I was fucking stoked for that movie based on that first trailer. Oh yeah, there was so that many trailer shots. was a great trailer, and none of it was in the final version of it. No, none of it. <laughs> yeah, that's. I was gonna say that. I, I I have a I have a couple jet. Well, honestly, pretty much all of these versions of these movies that Disney has done, I kind of want to see in some form. So there's that, there's Rogue One, what you're talking about, because I totally agree with you. Some of those shots from the trailer are awesome. Like that trailer of them walking through that open field and what is it, the adats are shooting down at them or whatever. That was a yeah, great yeah. shot that, that I was, and it definitely does show that the third act was changed because it seems like they're actually physically carrying the thing that they need to transmit instead of going to a tower. But anyways, there was that and then they fired uh Colin Trevorrow which I don't think anybody was upset with at the time but if you do read his Duel of the Fates uh script or even just watch a video breaking it down it does seem like like in the way of Snyder Cut where you're like well I would have probably liked this movie a lot more than this garbage mess that we got um and then the other big one though I think that the thing that tops the list for me in all those versions of Star Wars is probably actually the Lord and Miller cut of Solo Mm. yeah my weird feelings towards that are that was a movie i was not at all excited about i thought they shouldn't make the movie in the first place but then they meant then they brought on lord and miller and i was like okay actually like they've kind of that's kind of their bread and butter is making good movies out of shit that uh didn't work i was actually going to say during your space jam legacy uh segment that i actually would pitch um miller and lord would actually be pretty good as a um uh, as, as a choice if they as some, if they have to redo re- uh, Space Jam I think they could probably actually could have made it work but yeah you hear you hear things about the movie and about how apparently um, Alden Reich was something about they he felt like he was making an Ace Ventura movie or maybe he didn't jive with the way the improv was going um, but I don't know Lord and Miller like have just made great films and you know I'm also kind of baffled by the like oh well he didn't ha- uh, follow Lawrence Kasdan's script I was like, yeah, he's the fucking writer. You don't have to follow his script. As far as I'm, as far as I, I know how film hierarchy works, director can come in and change whatever the fuck he wants on the script. As long as, and the fact that it, it seemed very strange to me that I was like, so you're telling me that the writer Lawrence Kasdan, which I know who probably uh, maybe has some pull over Disney because he wrote Force Awakens, is over override your directors. Like, what the fuck is that? That was what pissed me off the most. That seems to get, like, um, totally buried in that story. As everyone's like, well, he didn't shoot the script that they were supposed to. I was like, yeah, they don't have to. They never fucking had to. Yeah. He's the writer. Yeah, yeah. 
Like, like he, he has no choice. And apparently he would just go to people like, yeah, they're changing my script. And you read that – and the script that we got, man, that script is bullshit, dude. The fact that, like, he was even hyping up that line about, like, the solo line about being like, oh, where are you from, like, solo? Like, there is a specific, like, uh, quote from Bob Iger hyping up that line. And even him going as far as to say, like – um, a Lord, uh, Lawrence himself being like, "Oh yeah, we 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 found this great way to give him his name." Like, no, you didn't. It was a bullshit way. Like, and 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 I and I think that's where I just kind of feel a little bit salty about it. I was like, the movie you got that you fought for was dog shit. At least if we got um this uh Lord and Miller solo movie, it would have been something different. Like everyone says it wasn't Star Wars, but I was like, Force Awakens and even Rise of Skywalker to extent were like so slavishly trying to recreate like star wars to such an extent like anything that felt slightly different would have been nice yeah and that's a good rant there mike and i'm there about 75 percent with you um when the film was being developed i was right into all this news just like you're saying like you're bringing up everything that i remember and I mean, I was concerned. I was hearing that Lord Miller were basically making a comedy that was like, like you said, throughout the script and was mostly improvised. But you're right in that a director always has the ability to overrule a writer. That's just, that's what a director does. It's his job to actually make a good coherent film. Some directors like to stick to the script. Some don't. I mean, look at look at what Taika Waititi's done for his whole career. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guys like Max Impro. Um, and his movies can come off as very natural and and uh, and interesting. Well done. I would have liked to see what Lord Miller were doing. I might have hated it, but that's another case like having a Lord Miller cut. I would have liked to see. I just don't think there was the appetite for it. My problem was that would be a bold direction. An improvised comedy focused solo is bold. Hiring Ron Howard to quote unquote, save the project is like the definition of safe. Oh, for sure. Right? There's no boldness <laughs> to that. There's no boldness to that. And why I said I was 75% with you, I like Ron Howard. He's directed some of my favorite movies, such as A Beautiful Mind, Backdraft, um, some others. And I thought he actually made a passable movie, Unpopular Opinion. I kind of like Solo, even though I think I've only seen it twice. But it was bland. It was like having you know, steak without seasoning with a boiled potato. And some of the dialogue was terrible, like you said, you know, how he got the name Solo. I thought Alden was okay. You know, but what we got is Disney has just been so safe ever since they've got Star Wars. The only thing kind of unsafe they've done, I guess, is The Mandalorian. Which it was more like, oh yeah, hey, we need something for the fans because we got this new streaming service. So hey, John Favreau, he's he's friend of Disney, and uh, you know, yeah, we'll just give it to him and the other guy that makes the cartoons because the fans like the guy that makes the cartoons. <laughs> and sure enough, they made the Star Wars that everybody ever wanted. Mm-hmm. But oh, just Disney being just so pathetically safe to the point that they ruined they ruined the sequel trilogy. It's an absolute hot mess oh for sure no planning and not to give leland and i a reach around here but you told me yourself you've listened to our star wars like uh, episode um you know rise of skywalker multiple times Mm -hmm. because we just slam that fucker Mm -hmm. for being the mess that it is 
But the whole thing's been a mess, except for the Mandalorian. Some, you know, it sounds like they may be on the up and up. Like, Leland, you watch Bad Batch, right? Uh, I've watched about half of it. Yeah. Did you? Is it okay? Is it better than the sequels? Yeah, I mean, it's good. Like, I like the animated stuff. Uh, I don't like it as much as I like Clone Wars so far. Funny, funny, funny thing about the Bad Batch is like I was I watched it. A few weeks after it first released, I'm like, oh, there's only like seven episodes. But of course, they're doing a fucking weekly release that they Disney fucking plus does. But they're like, it's a tw- 20 minute episodes. Like, that's so stupid. I'm not going to get started on that, but I fucking hate that weekly release. But of what I've watched of Bad Batch, I like it. Um, it's it's very, I would say it feels pretty kiddy because one of the main characters in it is a kid, is a young, young kid. Uh, so it's, it feels very like lovey dovey isn't the right descriptor for it, but it's like, I don't know. It's very family oriented is what it feels like, which is not how clone wars felt. And maybe I was looking for the same feel because it's from the same era. Like it's literally right out. It takes place right after all the clone war stuff took place. I don't know. It's decent. I don't, I wouldn't rank it up there all that highly as far as the, the star Wars, stuff that's come out to date but um i even think star wars rebels is better than bad batch so far um yeah i was just gonna say i i i think i am i am with you a little bit on on so i i do think it's a perfectly passable movie um and it, you're totally and, and that's exactly how i feel about ron howard coming in that was like kind of my first choice or sorry first uh thought about about okay this is a journeyman experience director you just need him to bring it home uh, you don't want him to do anything too fancy with it, and don't get me wrong, Ron Howard's made some excellent films. Um, but I am curious to ask uh, to know you, you guys, because you're talking about how Star Wars is the only thing that people like so far. But I swear to God, man, I think Disney are starting to get in their grubby hands on that too, and, and and fucking that one up. I don't know about you guys, but I was really kind of not too into the whole Luke Skywalker. Um, or oh shit, did I did I spoil? Have you guys seen uh, Mandalorian season one or two? Yeah, we did a spoiler review. On oh it. shit! Okay, okay. Yeah, so you're you're clear. You're okay. Clear. I just like yeah, I just good, dropped a spoiler, but um, I, I okay. I, <laughs> I I so I must I have somehow missed that episode, but I'm gonna I'll have to catch up. But can I really quickly um hear what your guys' thoughts are on that whole thing? I didn't mind it. It, it predictable. It, yeah, it was predictable that he was the ultimate Jedi that would come in. I I felt the scene itself was very rushed. Um, the CGI and whatnot. I like the symmetry that. Vader has his hallway scene, which is probably my favorite scene in all of Star Wars. Rogue One is not my favorite Star Wars movie, but I love the hallway scene. Finally getting like a minute of Darth Vader unleashing. But Luke does the same thing in his own way on the Dark Troopers, which I thought was great synergy. But the CGI clearly was not up to spec. And this actually came out, I think it was this past week, that Lucasfilm hired this guy on YouTube that deep faked a better Luke Skywalker for that scene. I saw it. It's got like, I think it's got like over, you know, a few million hits. Um, And then Lucasfilm just hires the guy because, which I think is a great idea because you obviously need the help. The guy on YouTube can make a better Luke. (laughs) So, okay. A question about that then. Do you think, obviously, Mike, you're probably leaning towards a yes to this question, but are we going to get more blatant tie-ins to the rest of the universe in Mandalorian, which really I think what uh, its popularity was derived from how different and disconnected it was from a lot of 
you know, the whole sky work sky, the shadow of the Skywalkers mm-hmm. that fucking are, is cast over everything. Star Wars Mandalorian had finally gotten away from that. And in a really good way in a really interesting and fresh way uh, as well. Even if, you know, fucking baby Yoda is a fucking Yoda thing or whatever. Right. But that aside, it was something it see. It, I mean, it felt pretty fresh to me at least. You think in season three Mandalorian, like what's what are we going to get? Are we going to get more of that shit? Yeah, that's a toss up for me because I know they're making that Boba Fett show. So I really don't know. Like I can honestly see they're doing a passage of time. The problem is, is like really quick. I actually think they should have recast it for, for Luke Skywalker. I think they should have just cast it. Uh, people say they should cast it Sebastian Stan, the guy who plays uh, Winter Soldier. If, dude, if they did that, I would have lost my mind, and I would be like, because that means they can use them. They don't have to like. And, and, and honestly, I, I really do think we would have accepted it. I think people got over Solo being cat. No one loves all the Naya right, but I think people would have gotten past it. And so, I think for one, like it kind of. So I I, I do wonder whether they're going to touch it for that reason because of the. And so, for for that reason, I could see them maybe distancing themselves from Luke because of just even budgetary reasons. But at the same time, like it does seem like they're kind of leaning to they're starting to making their way towards like the uh, sequel trilogy. And the problem is, is like I I also just don't like what the sequel trilogy trilogy did with the canon. So if we do move towards that, man, that means we also are going to get like young Kylo Ro- Kylo Ren um, burning down the Jedi. Um, temple like right and like i mean people have questions like oh was grogu um there doing that and that's also where my my problems i was like the closer we're going to get to that that's also where my appeal is going to kind of wane maybe a bit i mean they'd be smartest just not to fucking touch it with the 40 foot pole like Mm -hmm. and hopefully even bother going that direction like they know the reception (laughs) yeah it feels like like everything star wars is always so polarized in the fan base Except Mandalorian. Like, it feels like everyone loves Mandalorian. Like, they finally did a project that, like, the the majority of the, the vast majority of the fan base can get on board with and agree that it's entertaining and interesting. Why go even close to what vitriol, the, you know, the, the sequel trilogy erupted in the fan base? Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, I, I want to make a point here that with the exception of Luke, who I think was handled wrong, I agree with Mike, should have been Sebastian Stan. He's a reasonably priced actor. You could use him in the future. He looks a lot like Hamill. That's the whole point. Um, I think that would have been great fan casting rather than doing this this CGI dump. But what I like about The Mandalorian, the big name characters they brought back, such as Ahsoka, uh, they name dropped Thrawn, and they you know brought back Boba Fett. They've spun them off. They've not kept them as part of the show for what we know because they've got their own shit going on. I think that was a good way to both bring those characters back and introduce them in live action. You know, I'm on the fence with Bo-Katan being brought back. She's coming back for season three, apparently. I mean, I don't know if that's a surprise, but Katie sat Oh, she has to. They have to resolve the Darksaber. Yeah, because they yeah. But my problem with Ahsoka, with Boba Fett, and Bo-Katan is they're done so well. Those characters have so much real history, including, well, not Rosario Dawson, but the characters in two of the three actors have so much history with Star Wars. Being in the show with Mando, who's kind of like a quiet character, they're going to like take over the show. And Bo-Katan, like Katie Sackhoff is fantastic. 
And she has the potential to really steal the show from Din Djarin and the Mandalorian. And, you know, then are we watching, like, does the Mandalorian become the Bo-Katan show? Like, I don't know. Maybe that would be kind of bold. Yeah, I don't know. That's my that's why was my one of my things I didn't quite like about the second season. And it's sort of my worry is that it's just going to become a springboard for other shows. You know what I mean? Like the next season is just going to introduce a bunch of new characters again, and then and, and those are going to like, you know, spin off. Yeah, I wouldn't like that if they do this whole springboard thing again. I mean, they've got like what eleven, thirteen fucking Star Wars shows coming out. They've got enough Star Wars for right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I can I can see that concern, but like, it didn't feel like it was any of the appearances were very heavy-handed in season two of of Mando. Um, and now that I've watched so much of the animated stuff after watching season two, like I I know who Bo Katan is, I know who Thrawn is, I've seen the I've seen um, like Ahsoka uh, post Clone Wars now in Rebels. Um, I love Ahsoka. Ahsoka's my, probably my favorite Star Wars character, like easily, easily. I will say, though, about the Luke Skywalker thing, I had no idea what time period really that Mandalorian was set in until Luke showed up. Like, because I, I, I don't know, I wasn't, I'm not all that familiar with the canon, especially at the time of watching Mandalorian. I hadn't watched any Star Wars other than the, the sequel trilogy for a very, very long time, uh, including the animated stuff. And it's only after watching that that I've gone, refreshed myself with the animated, with the Clone Wars, and I also recently rewatched um, the prequel trilogy. So so now like I've 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 refreshed the history, and a lot of it's really good, and uh, and it's really changing my opinion of Star Wars as a whole as a, as the whole franchise. Because there's a lot of really 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 good parts of it that I really enjoy. I just don't like the Force all that much. <laughs> I think the Force is stupid, and the Force has become this ridiculous Deus Ex Machina that they just throw around in and reinforce reinforce the force and its effects whenever it suits the plot and that's what really drives and that's why i hate rogue one so much because it was it was really heavy with that shit and i just think like they i don't think the franchise needs to lean on that crutch because there's so much great material in there they don't need to they don't need to do it just tell a cool story i'll i like force users as much as the other like i like jedi too but you're always inevitably going to get a, a, a Jedi fight anywhere where you're like, well, why didn't they just force push them? Why didn't they just grab that with the force? Well, how is that person getting away? Just pick them up with the force. Like, <laughs> that's inevitable because that is unfortunately the corners that the 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 rules, quote unquote rules of the force have written them. They've written themselves into those corners. And that's why the force is stupid. <laughs> that has this has been my dead talk of why the force is really fucking stupid. So <laughs> why is light speed only now being used to kamikaze ships? I know that's not the force, but it's another thing for me that is like <laughs> right? universe yeah. breaking that was introduced. I'm like, you fucked it. Like, why? Why did you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble on that, but in Force Force Awakens, there's a scene where the Millennium Falcon is inside the transport ship. And it light speeds right through a wall to yeah. escape. And that's how I always thought light speed was, is that, you know, it's a different dimension, so you can go through matter. And then, I mean, this is so the sequel trilogy. Right. And then in the second movie, suddenly it's this maneuver to destroy giant capital ships. And I'm just like, 
Do you realize the inconsistency here? But that's yeah. Like, but that's yeah. That's what I mean. Hello, McFly. McFly. Hello. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it's either going through a portal. They're not just driving really fucking fast. It's ex- that's exactly my problem. Like you said, yeah. Like stupid. Doesn't work. I uh, well. I, but here's the confusion though. Like there, are, there are like in Star Wars Rebels, the animated series, there are parts where they have to fall out of hyperspace because they're about to hit something. Like they're gonna run into a planet. Mm. so it's so inconsistent and in rebels there is a weapon that the empire has that can pull ships out of traveling through hyperspace and prevent them from jumping so it's like how the fuck does it actually work yeah. <laughs> what, what's going on and in the original trilogy they had to wait like a minute for it to spool up and maybe that was just because the millennium falcon's old as fuck but I don't, <laughs> where's well, the consistency they had your old laptop as the navicomputer that's exactly <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> calculate another speaking of light speed and then talking about why you hate rogue one fucking right rogue one they put this bullshit that the death star can now travel at light speed too it's like wow that would have been right. fucking convenient and many times in the, right in new hope yeah well, why didn't they fucking jump out of there as soon as they were getting attacked Get know, the hell out of there. <laughs> like ah oh, man yeah yeah, we could do a whole episode on Star Wars controversies. Oh, we could do we could do a whole year of episodes. Of, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we won't. Well, I mean, my final one is perhaps anticlimactic, and we've gone on so long, so you don't feel like we have to take um, so long on it. But I mean, so Cards Against Humanity, adult card game version of Apples to Apples. A lot of us have played it. It's very popular, but. You know, one of the creators, Max Temkin, uh, apparently one of the eight founders of the company. That's a lot of founders. He was forced to step down, you know, after being accused that he, through his game, is actually exercising his own personal racism and misogyny. But the problem with that is, like, how do you prove that in a game that is so obviously meant to be crude and crass and anything goes? And so what ended up happening, and I'm not saying anything disparaging, but, you know, there's trans people that work for the company, people of color, queer people, and they're all saying like, oh, well, these cards are, are so bad and offensive. And it's like, yeah, but do you know what company you signed up for? Mm-hmm. Like, apparently they pay well and they uh-huh. you know do good things for their staff. They, I looked into this. It's the only complaints were to do with their cards saying they're mean-spirited and and misogynistic and sexist and i kind of go well that's the point but then i read some really weird reviews that say like the game is secretly for people who are not of color to exercise racism in like a pleasant dinner party environment because we can't exercise it elsewhere i thought that was like some mental gymnastics that wasn't really there but it was thought-provoking enough that I wanted to pose the question to you guys. Like, if it's Cards Against Humanity, should you know that if you work for this company, you're probably going to get offended by the product that you're making? Uh, I Yeah, I find it hard to believe that they didn't know um, what they were getting into. Because, I mean, like, even on a job application, or, or a job interview, rather... Um, they ask you what you know about the company when you got it. Like when I got my job recently, I asked if I knew anything about the company and I should know about it because that's the first thing you fucking do when you go into job interviews, you research the company that you're applying for. So first of all, I, I, I find it very hard to believe that they did not know 
what they um what they signed up for or what they were working for because if they don't i don't know if that's a reflection on them or a reflection on the company but as far as like the controversy goes like the whole point of the game is like you can choose your answers you don't have to be racist or, or sexist if you don't want to i mean i, I mean yeah the, the, the game is it encourages to make people laugh and if you feel like you know making a sexist or racist remark is is going to get you laughs um you can make that moral choice yourself but but you know i don't think the game uh, the game is meant to be offensive of course it is but i don't think it's uh pigeonholing you to be racist or sexist or whatever uh or, or whatever you feel if you're feeling that impulse i think that's a uh that's a that's a um how do i say like maybe maybe an internal problem that you may need to look inside yourself for maybe it's a really good point there, Mike, actually, that I hadn't considered is choice in how to play the game. You know, si- similar to like vegans playing Stardew Valley, they don't have to raise animals if they don't want to. They can perfectly beat the game just growing crops and mining. So, you know, it's kind of reaching, but... Yeah, that's a reach. That's a reach. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, but regardless of how you choose to play the game... Cards of human, cards against humanity, is an avenue in which somebody could use it, in that in the way that's being purported because of the type of product that it is. Mm-hmm. And so, so, I agree. Like, there's no way that the the employees are not aware of <laughs> what type of game cards against humanity is like. It is the game is built on shock value and being offensive. Um. I don't think I think there's plenty of things that you can be offensive about, and you don't need to in, in, include any type of racist content in your in your game. Um, it's a, it's it's like it's part of the it's it's part of the you know this this social movements like it's just so falling out of favor now. I'm surprised that the company is still able to sell and manufacture. Uh, but but I mean, there's always going to be an audience for that stuff. Is that audience the people that think that this game is letting them normalize some of these these comments? I but I also wonder like what kind of cards those uh, like I've played played cards against humanity, but it hasn't it's been a while. Like I know you can say some offensive things, but I guess they're not. I I I can say first of all, you're making like a lot of good points, Leland, because I don't think this is this issue is as simple as I even initially thought it was. Um, but like I, I like I mean I don't as far as I know they're not putting what could be like derogatory words on the cards themselves, but but you but you are kind of correct in that um, I, I I you could argue yeah they're they're giving uh, people the tools uh, to be offensive and um, yeah no I, I don't know you you raise some good points I, I'll leave it at that. Well, and, and Mike, just because you brought that up, um, in my research, there may be more, but I found three cards that they had removed, which is in the newer version of the game. They've removed black people, they've removed African children, and they've removed AIDS. Those are the three cards. And it's funny you say that because the card black people is the first, because it's not necessarily the individual cards and what's printed on them. It's the combination of cards. That is where is, I mean, again, the point of the game is to combine the cards to make something that is funny or outlandish or offensive or <laughs> whatever's going to get the judge to choose your combination. 
So, I mean, that kind of makes sense and is an easy fix if they think something is problematic. Like, you're only removing, like, you know, possibly a handful of cards, depending on, I guess, what type of criteria you're going to apply to the, the screening process, again, for lack of a better term, of your of your content. But there's so many different packs. I mean, I think it was a couple of years ago, Moby, you had brought up banter about, a, a, a like, a, a tiny expansion for Cards Against Humanity that was all about Judaism. Do you yeah. remember? Yeah, I mean, yeah. years ago. I don't I never saw the cards myself. I'm not sure what exactly was in it, but it kind of falls under the same category. Yeah, I mean, I think where my concern with the company would be if, and we played the game several times, if it was clear they were picking on a certain race or couple races, I think you could go, well, you know, they've got an agenda here. Um, but to my, to my memory, like, there are other cards in the deck for there's the white people card, there's Asian people card. So it's like you can make fun of everybody at once. And I think that that's what's, you know, important for me to not see some kind of inherent agenda behind it. Now, pundits will say, well, that's not fair because, you know, what Caucasians have always been the oppressors through history and it's completely different to have a card for them. But I don't think so. I, I think you can use the card in a similar situation. I think you can use the card as someone who is a person of color and very angry and bitter towards Caucasian people or Asians or whichever other race has a card and and play that with the same intent. <laughs> okay, but you just argued you just argued for the complaints that the game itself is a tool to express those feelings. I, That's what I you think, just argued. I, th I think it can be. I think it can so, be. Yeah, of but, course it can be. Mm -hmm. But I think then the natural human response to that is your friend who's doing that, just maybe like call them out and say, hey, dude, you're being kind of a dick. Like this isn't really sure. what's behind the game. Right. Rather than ban cards and cause this huge controversy. People are behind everything. People can use a computer to, you know solve huge medical mysteries or people can use a computer to access the dark web and try to get a hit on somebody i mean tools and things can be used for any kind of purpose and i think ultimately yeah, but cards, the cards against humanity is not a tool it is a game cards against humanity i would argue is a tool in a way to create this social humor like it's always funny if you're having like a bad dinner and like nothing is working and people just aren't having fun you pull it out always people are going to start laughing guaranteed so in a way i think it kind of is a tool <laughs> okay great but uh, okay yes in the way that games in general are can can be social tools you're right but I'm, again your your analogy of like the internet it's good and bad uses yes you can apply that to everything obviously you can apply it to a fucking a hammer you can build something with a hammer or you can tear something down so yeah that's a very that's very generalized but I, I do agree with you. It's very strange how there must be more to it where if they can single out one of eight founders, like there's got to be more information. Like it's got to be something else um, too, right? Like Okay, so apparently there was a an accusation, like an old accusation of sexual assault that came out from him. Like when he was in college, someone accused him of rape. So that played into it. Like this was not recent. This was many years before. And of course, with the, you know, the whole Me Too movement, just the allegation itself is taken uh, extraordinarily seriously. But, you know, for him to be forced out, it really seems like they were 
trying to combine things with this. Like, oh, you know, he had this allegation from 15, 20 years ago, and that proves that he made all these cards to be this evil misogynist. And I think that's tenuous at best. So you think they were trying to, the company was trying to use him as a scapegoat to avoid backlash on their offensive front. Sure. If it's eight people that form this company yeah, with a very specific game and it's like all this, this hatred is brewing or this, this controversy from their employees, it's a lot easier to focus all that on one out of eight, oust him and keep the rest of the cabal surrounding oh, the yeah. table. I'm sure there's so much other shit behind the scenes too, right? Like, yeah, you made a good point earlier, though, Leland, about how like I'm surprised it didn't it took this long um, because it yeah it's a game that's been around for a while and then and I and I'm always kind of almost sometimes surprised about the amount of people that like enjoy the game and I always wonder if if that is for certain people that like generally uh, I, I don't know like. Uh, morally righteous people for them to kind of let loose in some sort of way and maybe that's part of the appeal to it but the one thing i'll say about removing cards like i i understand the intent behind that and i think of um you know maybe a, a bunch of a couple cards won't make the difference but i do think eventually the more you do that eventually it becomes well what what is the game anymore what what is what the game was supposed to be in the first place and maybe that's a bad thing maybe one would argue that there's no place in our culture anymore for a game called hard cards against me uh cards against me but the reality is is if they keep removing cards all it takes is someone to be like hey but this is my version of cards against humanity that does have that shit that you want in it and then they just sell it through like a kickstarter or they sell it on their own through their website and then we end up being back to square one anyways most likely i could be wrong but just a thought. Yeah, I mean, like, it's always going to be out there now. And I know, because, like, this is not the first type of conversation I've had with Moby with us. Like, I know Moby, like, you are always on the side of let's let's not let everything get to an extreme that becomes something so far removed from maybe what the original intent and good intentions uh, in these scenarios like this are that it becomes something completely, totally warped. And now you're on the other, you're, you've shifted to the exact opposite side of it. And it's still a bad place to be in. Right. Like, as that just usually seems to be your concern. I get that in the conversation that we've had in the past with uh, like social issues like this and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know what this comes down to me is, and I, this could get into a whole larger topic about, you know, what is permissible in comedy in culture nowadays at all like you know what are you permitted to you know laugh at we we lived in a generation where you look at you know films from the 90s and probably i would say maybe the first five to eight years in the 2000s where pretty much anything was permissible anyone could make fun of anybody and comedy was like the whole concept of the jester and the old you know uh, King's Court, where the jester was the only one who could insult the king and get away with it. You know, comedy used to have free reign as long as it was for a laugh. It didn't matter if it was mean spirited as long as the consumer found it funny. And I think that's changed a lot. For me, the bellwater moment was Zoolander 2 with Miss All. That was the first time that I really felt that there was a pushback against a joke um, that was against a, a group that was perceived as, um, as oppressed. And I, I remember that happening. I was like, hmm, that's weird. I don't remember, you know, an outrage against any sort of comedy like this in the past. 
I'm like, remember this. Maybe this will be a moment in culture. And I think it's basically gone on from that point to comedy is very restrictive. It has to be very blah or only insult certain groups or you have to precisely match whatever demographic is being teased or else it's considered unfair. But like I said, that's a bigger discussion. So I, what I liked about bringing that up, it's thought provoking. I think personally, my objective with this whole episode was that we would inspire listener to look into some of these controversies more that they would latch on to something that some of us have brought up and like look it up on YouTube, Google it. So listener, if you're out there and you're looking up some of these topics, um, I think we've, we've done our job today. I agree. Okay. Well, shit, that was a long one. (laughs) (laughs) I figured it would go long, but yeah, that's cool. And it shows definitely. Our episodes definitely do. Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure this last last one was like this length too. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's all good. And it shows stuff. Our website's ttpopcast.com with T-Hot Popcast on Facebook, TT Popcast on Instagram. Uh, I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter, and that is who I've been. If you're on the T-Hot Popcast Facebook page and you see a post, chances are I did it. But other than that, uh, Mike, if you got anything to plug, like, you got so much interesting shit to say. Can people find you anywhere? Um, yeah, I was literally just looking at my, on my phone right now. Cause I forgot my Instagram handle, but really the only thing I'm on <laughs> is, uh, is Instagram really. Uh, and that is just, uh, sure. Macintosh 17. Yeah. All lowercase. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of good shit on there, but, uh, maybe if I get more followers, maybe I would actually start utilizing it. But, uh, you know, um, we'll see a listener. We'll see what happens. Hey, listener, he's triple crown now. That's a rare, rare uh, award to have. Yeah, if I go... Show. Friend of the show. So. Well, yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I I haven't yet gained a follower from this episode, so I actually think listener might be holding out <laughs> on me. And maybe... You, you know might... what? Neither have we. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll follow you. There I'll you follow go. you. I'll find there you. There you go. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I'm a little bit dubious on listener here, uh, but I think I've, I'm hoping I won <laughs> over by this time. Third time's the charm. Yeah. <laughs> Take us home, movie. <laughs> Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.